0: Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight?
1: I am very, very excited for tonight, obviously, because of what we will be partaking in. But I'm doing fantastic, wide awake and ready to go. Do you
0: do anything fun for Easter?
1: Um, spend time with the family, you know, the usual stuff, uh, went over to my aunt's house with my fiance and it was, it was a small thing. Uh, unfortunately one part of my family was sick, so they weren't able to partake, but, uh, yeah, just, you know, typical games, dinner, hang out, discuss, catch up, all that fun stuff.
0: Always fun to do. So we had a crossover between Easter weekend and my son's first birthday party. So We had a lot of family togetherness in one weekend. So the introverts that we became on my side after COVID hit and we all got quarantined for a year, by that time the weekend was over, we were just ready for a break from people. But one thing I did this weekend that I hadn't done basically all winter was mow my lawn for the first time. And I got to tell you, I kind of forgot how much I enjoy mowing my lawn because I get out there, it takes me about an hour to do the whole yard. I do a little push mower thing because that way I can count it for my cardio for the day. It's not a big yard by any means put on some NFL draft podcast and just kind of cruise through it. So what's your mowing situation? Do you mow your own yard? Oh,
1: I absolutely mow my own yard and I really enjoy it myself. I think it's good therapy. Uh, I can't listen to podcasts or things like that though. I can't listen to like speech or things. It's the one circumstance that I can't do that. It has to be kind of like brainless music. It has to be just kind of something that is in the atmosphere that gets me almost honed in and just truly relaxed. Cause when I'm trying to, you know, Focus on doing something, not that I don't want it to sound like I'm focusing hard, because obviously mowing the lawn is not hard for one. And two, it's relaxing. But that puts me in a good mindset. And if I'm trying to really listen in on something else, it almost takes away my attention from the lawn mowing. So I can't do that. But yeah, it's it's definitely a great thing. And uh haven't done it yet, but it's right around the corner because I can see all the green grass poking out.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be here before we know it. And it's interesting you say that because I've had that same feedback with people that uh, work out on a regular basis. When I go to the gym and lift, I'm a big podcast guy. And the reason for that is when I listen to music, sometimes the music will get me so amped up that I'll just try I'll lift and I'll not use the right form and end up hurting myself. And I'm not like a professional lifter by any means. I'm just a guy at the gym trying to get stronger. So I'm much more of a podcast guy, but I've heard more people on your end of things that are like, no, I need music to kind of keep me going. I can't listen to conversation because I get distracted. So it's interesting to hear different people's viewpoints on things like that, but my yard would be one thing to mow. Your yard would be one thing to mow. How would you like to mow an entire golf course, Luca?
1: Honestly, I'd love it to be quite honest. Like, yeah, I just, to be quite honest, I, I would love it. Nothing more. I mean, I'm a massive golf fan, as you know, and I play golf almost like I wish I could do it for the rest of my life to be frank. And, um, <laughs> I, I could only imagine get the my-
0: handicap down.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, Hey, we're, we're, we're in the single digits. I just like to get wow. it lower and lower, you know? Um, but, uh, working on that, you know, I'll be in Arizona in a couple of weeks trying to expand on that golf game out Southwest there. But, um, yeah, I actually to be, yeah, I just, I would love nothing more than a golf course, just to mow, like say every Monday or every morning for that matter. Oh, that would be very, very peaceful.
0: Why are they talking about golf? You might be asking yourself, well, if you didn't notice two days ago, Tom Brady put out a very cryptic tweet where he tagged Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and it turns out that that is going to be the foursome playing in the match on June 1st. It's going to be Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes taking on Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. You know, this is really cool. The match was um the first time around I'm trying to remember back. It was Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And then Peyton was teaming up with Tiger Woods and Brady was teaming up with Phil Mickelson. And it was right in the heart of COVID where we were without sports. So it was just like water to a thirsty person. You were just like, oh my God, sports. And it was great. But now it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and our guy, Josh Allen on June 1st. It's going to be fun to watch, but The first thing I thought of, which I think we've already seen plenty of signs of this this offseason, QB1 in Buffalo is a megastar, not just in Buffalo, but in the landscape of the NFL. And I know, I know it kind of feels like we're just feeling ourselves and we're patting ourselves on the back. But if you're a fan of the New York Giants or the New York Jets or the Dallas Cowboys and your team is bad, your team is still relevant. Like it may not be the best thing in the world to you that your team is relevant because they're relevant because the national media is making fun of them. When the bills are bad, it's almost like they don't exist. They don't get national TV games. People that are casual fans of the league can't name players on the team. So this whole Josh Allen ride for us, where we have a face of the league on our team is just such a new experience for us. And I'm relishing every minute of it. And Luca yesterday was just another reminder that he is that dude.
1: It's very exciting. It's, it's awesome to see, yeah, our QB1 just being an absolute legend out there and just everyone wants to watch him. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that is even just a casual football fan that could say, I, you know, they don't want to watch Josh Allen, especially after what he did in the postseason this past season. You know, you want to see more. And I think it was uh, good morning football where they talked about, you know, our expectations high with Josh Allen after, you know, reacting to the same thing. And every one of them on the panel was just talking about how this is the off season of Josh Allen. You can feel it everywhere. This is the year in the off season that everyone is talking about 17 and, you know, the expectations of MVP, it's Super Bowl or bust. It's everything like that. And we have never in our lifetimes experience something like that pretty much. I mean, myself, it, yes, definitely. You basically, I mean, I know, you know, right in the start of your fandom was the uh, the four Super Bowl era that time, but it, it's, it's just, it's incredible to see. I mean, even TMZ felt the need to send out a tweet about him going out to dinner with this smoke show girl. It's like, what world are we living in right now where that is something that is relevant and needs to be tweeted out? It's, it's awesome. I love this world. I love living in a world where our quarterback and number 17 is big time.
0: And I love Jim Kelly, but that was just a different era back then. We weren't all on Twitter. It was basically like you watched your game that week and then you got your news for the upcoming game, either in your local newspaper or on the pregame shows. Like Now we are all on Twitter 24-7 just listening to analysts, reading what they have to say. Josh Allen is a megastar. He is a fishbowl athlete. People are looking at him, and yes, going out to dinner with his girlfriend should not be a story that shows up on TMZ in the New York Post, but that is the world we live in. I don't even know if Jim Kelly ascended to that face of the league level that Josh Allen really has gotten to because when Kelly played, there were other superstar quarterbacks at the time, Marino, Elway. Aikman, uh, Young, Montana. And right now, it really does feel like it's these four guys Brady and Rogers, kind of the old guard, and then Allen and Mahomes, the guys right behind them. And, you know, all due respect to guys like Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, they're there. Joe Burrow, even who played in the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow might be creeping up on the Allen and uh, Mahomes level, but it's just, it's fun to have our guy in that conversation. And speaking of our guy, he was in town this week. He, as Buffalo Bills OTAs kicked off today. We are recording on 419, and it was first day of OTAs. Uh, we have no idea who's reported. I guess I did see something on Twitter where Jordan P- Poyer was not reporting. Um, we do know that, at least based on what was said to the Athletic, that Drew Rosenhaus has confirmed that Jordan Poyer would like a contract extension before the season starts. We talked about that on last week's episode. I would not read into who is and isn't reporting to the first OTA of the offseason. You can drive yourself nuts with something that's overall pretty meaningless. Can confirm that QB1 was in the building. Can confirm that Von Miller was in the building. Saw this on a video posted by buffalobills.com. But Luke, I know your favorite moment of the week from Josh Allen being in town had nothing to do with football and it had to do with him visiting the other Buffalo team.
1: Yeah, it was awesome to see him. At the Sabres game over the weekend when we played the Flyers and beat their ass. Um, And then, you know, greet every one of the players as they came back into the locker room after a big dub and, you know, embraced a bunch of them, you know, stayed around for pictures, talking, all that fun jazz. And just seeing the hug between him and Alex Tuck, basically the future promise on both fronts of bringing this city and their teams potentially both back to glory. And I say potentially more so for the Sabres, of course, not the Bills. We're we're in it right now with the Bills, of course. But uh, you know, it's it just it brings a tear to my eye and all the happiness that it can possibly bring. And yeah, it was, it was awesome to see standing ovation he got at the game was absolutely warranted and welcomed, and everything about it was incredible. I mean, if Josh Allen did anything, Josh Allen could almost commit murder, and I don't think Buffalo would care. <laughs> I, I really don't like. It, you would try to hide it as best as you could. Let's, let's not screw this thing up here. That would be kind of the mindset, you know, all jokes aside. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, it's always cool to see that, you know, intermingle between, cause I think McDermott just days prior was also in the locker room, gave a pregame speech, all that jazz, you know, was talking with Don Granado, big Donnie meatballs. And, uh, You know, that was it's cool to see. It's all it's always cool to see them, you know, interact and everything like that. And especially when it's it's good times in the Sabres locker room right now. I mean, it is great times in the Sabres locker room, not to get carried away with them.
0: Yeah, it's that one buffalo mindset with the Pagulos owning both teams. So it is cool to see. You said that brought a tear to your eye. One thing this week that brought a tear to my eye, although in a more negative way, was a guy we've been talking about on the last couple podcasts, just hoping for that Bill's reunion. Turns out it's not gonna happen. Former Buffalo Bills cornerback Stefan Gilmore, who we had targeted as a free agent target, especially when the Bills started clearing cap space, has signed a deal with the Indianapolis Colts. I like that move a lot for them. He is, in my opinion, a very big upgrade over Xavier Rhodes, who right now is still a free agent. I think Rhodes is a guy that maybe the Bills could plug in as a band-aid. Joe Hayden is still out there. But Stefan Gilmore, it was fun to think about what could have been. But Luca, I think you and I both, even though we both wanted it to happen, just the way the ending of Gilmore's career in Buffalo was and some of the shots he took at the city and them not playing on primetime, I think you and I both, as much as we wanted it to happen, didn't think it was the most realistic thing.
1: Realistic, I definitely did not think it was. It, it, it was something that you felt. Would be really cool if it happened, but I think I even thought it wasn't. It was a pipe dream more than anything else. It was just uh, an idea that it's still sitting there, and the fact that he hadn't signed with anyone still to that point, it was like, oh man. I mean, a reunion would be cool. It, it, it was one of those afterthought positive things where you're like, yeah, that would be interesting if it happened, and that would be a hell of a fix to a problem I see right now. You know, of the you know few issues that this team has, and. And it, signing with the Colts, that's a good move on the Colts, man. They, they become more and more scary in the AFC just quietly as well, just because, I mean, Matt Ryan, he's not exactly a sexy quarterback, but he could definitely get it done. And then that defense just kidding, keeps getting bolstered and it's, it's a good move on his part, I think. But then, yeah, when it comes to the bills, no surprise, I don't think it really affects me in any way, whether it's negative or positive, you know, obviously it would be negative if anything, but. I I move on with my day. I don't really see much going on with it. And uh, it, it it is what it is. I, there's, I'm not going to, you know, take too much time on
0: it, to be honest. So the need at cornerback two lives on. And one way the Bills could address that need is in the upcoming rookie draft. And we are a week and change away. It is getting close. It's going to be here before you know it. And tonight, Luca, we have an episode that I know you're super excited about. I can't wait for this. We last week we mocked the mocks. We went through different mock drafts of different websites and talked about whether we agreed or disagreed with them and went out through the different scenarios. Tonight we are going to put our money where our mouths are and we are going to do our own mock draft. And to me, this is my favorite style of mock draft. It's an alternating pick mock draft. So Luca has all the odd teams, one, three, five, seven, so on and so forth. I have all the even numbered teams, two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Um, if you want an example of what a uh, alternating mock is, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay did this today. Why I like the alternating mock is if you try to build your own mock, it's human nature to fall in love with the idea of, oh, you know, I really like the idea of Kyle Hamilton going to the Falcons. Okay. So maybe you read something where a Falcons beat writer was like, hey, they, if they can get Kyle Hamilton, they're going to get him. And you start reading things like, man, he could really change their defense. I like how he's going to fit there. And then you start getting through the first five or six picks and you're like, well, you know, at five, the Giants could really use Kyle Hamilton, but man, I really want him to go to eight. So I'm going to pick somebody else for the Giants. It's just human nature. So when you're doing this exercise with somebody else, and that's important to mention here, this is all just a scenario exercise. Luca and I are not on here tonight trying to pretend like we can see the future. I will say. We are not just Bills fans. We follow the league. We both have put in some research this week on the teams we're covering in this draft, leading up to that Bills' twenty-fifth pick. I think we both feel good about having a pulse, an idea of where these teams are at in their um, in their draft. But I even saw Matt Miller today, who's doing work for ESPN. He works. He owns NFL Draft Scout, saying this is the hardest draft he's ever seen as far as trying to make a mock draft. There's so much uncertainty. Having what's considered a weak quarterback class and not knowing where they're going to go is really making it challenged, challenging to pinpoint even the tippy top picks. Um, but, Luca, I'm excited for this alternating mock draft. And I don't know who you bribed, who you gave money to, but somehow, some way you found yourself with the first pick. Are you excited about picking for Jacksonville?
1: I am very excited. It's probably the most excited I'll ever be to support Jacksonville in my life, to be quite honest. But I am happy to be sitting in a spot to take the first pick. And uh, you ready to get this going?
0: I am. So really quick, I want to say one thing. So normally on this show, we play a big three game at the end of the show. It's usually drought related where we we snake draft different drought ideas like we did the biggest wins of the drought. If you guys have been listening, you know it's a lot of fun. Luca and I both made the executive decision tonight that after what could be two hours of us basically drafting the NFL, that maybe another draft on top of that wouldn't be the best listen. So we are going to hit the pause button on the big three game tonight and really just focus on our mock draft. But Luca, you have the first pick you are representing the Jacksonville Jaguars. And with the bills chat pro football podcast, mock draft, your Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. Take it away.
1: Now, I've been sitting here as a Jacksonville Jaguars person and mulling this pick over for a long time. And I see needs, you know, when it comes to across the defensive line, whether it's interior or on the edge, I see needs at the safety position. I see needs, you know, on the offensive line, maybe more specifically at tackle. You know, you're the first pick. We are, I should say, in this circumstance, the first pick for a reason here. You know, and it's it's a little crazy to see that a team that was mere minutes away in the 2018 AFC championship game from the Super Bowl with an unbelievable defense is now sitting here on their second consecutive first overall pick. And a big part of that defense when they were at their height just a few seasons ago was that defensive line with the likes of Clayus Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe and others involved. I think there was Malik Jackson as well. So with all that in mind, just four drafts later, you have a bunch of players up here that could really make an impact for this team, and you have your franchise quarterback already, of course. So with the first pick in our mock draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars will be taking edge defender Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan.
0: Aiden Hutchinson goes to Jacksonville with the first pick in our mock draft. And Luca, to me, it just makes too much sense. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week that maybe the Jaguars are planning on throwing a curveball at us this week and taking um the the other defensive end out of Georgia Walker and Trevon Walker. And, you know, I don't know if that's smoke, I don't know if it's a smoke screen, but to me, Hutchinson is just so ideal for them because they have made so many mistakes in the drafts in recent years. Uh, They missed on a cornerback a couple years ago. Um, They did take Trevor Lawrence last year. I think the one thing that you can make the argument against the Hutchinson pick is, is Cam Robinson really the guy you want protecting the blind side of Trevor Lawrence? You have the franchise quarterback, say what you want to about Christian Kirk, but they've, they've made a concentrated effort to bring in weapons to build around Trevor Lawrence, similar to what the bills did maybe in Josh Allen's year two, where they had John Brown, Cole Beasley. Um, you know, they have Christian Kirk, they have Marvin Jones. It's not nothing. Um, maybe you want to go ahead and give him that, that premier offensive tackle. But I think the fact is you have the first pick and quite frankly, the blue chip edge defenders in this draft are the best players in this draft. And you have to get the best player in the draft when you have the first pick. So I fully support this pick. I think, It's as close to a no brainer first pick as we can get in this draft where I don't think there are a lot of no brainers and I applaud you. I think you made the right pick for the Jaguars.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it, the last part of my notes is just seems like a no brainer. And I think you hit that right on the head at the end there. It's, you don't want to overthink this. You're the first overall pick. You should most likely take the best player there. And there's definitely a case to be made for a few, as I said before, but Aiden Hutchinson really seems like the guy to take here and it just makes all the sense in the world. So Josh, you with your first pick or the second pick in this draft and the Detroit Lions are now on the clock.
0: The Detroit Lions are on the clock. The Lions being on the clock early in the draft is a tradition just like staring at Mel Kuyper's hair in the draft. They seem to live in the top five, but There seems to be some optimism around this team that they finally have the coach to build around with Dan Campbell, the culture change people have talked about that he's installing there. Um, The thing about the Lions is if you look at their needs, you could almost just write the word football. They pretty much need everything. Safety, wide receiver, edge, off-ball linebacker, uh, tight end, defensive tackle, and obviously Jared Goff is not any kind of long-term answer at quarterback. When you look at their quarterback situation, though... I have seen some mocks recently where Malik Willis goes second overall. And that makes sense. If you're picking second and there's a quarterback you like, you take him. And Malik Willis has all of the tools that could get a team excited. But there's one thing I can't get past here when trying to figure out if the Lions are going to take Malik Willis or not. And it was an interview on the Rich Eisen show with Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze, who when Rich Eisen said, okay, so what are the teams that have been asking the most about Malik Willis? He started naming off some teams, and he didn't name the Lions. Now, look, it's smokescreen season. So if the Lions are truly interested in Malik Willis and their strategy is we don't want other teams to know we're interested in him, maybe they wouldn't be reaching out to Hugh Freeze. I would raise my hand on that and say there's no need for a team picking second in this draft to hide their interest in Malik Willis and their time if they really had Really, truly thought about taking him second overall would be much better spent doing all of their research they can do on Malik Willis before they anoint him as the future franchise quarterback. The team picking first has their quarterback. They're not going to take Malik Willis. Nobody's trading up for Malik Willis to pick one. It's not that kind of quarterback class. So, reading the tea leaves, I know he's going to Detroit for a visit this week. I am not convinced the Lions are in the quarterback market this year. One other point on that, we keep hearing about how next year's quarterback class is considered much stronger than this one. It is a year out. Things can change. You never know how that's going to change. There was a point in time when the Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes quarterback class was looked at as weak and people were looking forward to the Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold quarterback class. So you never know how that's going to go, but at least sitting here a year out, it looks like the move is to wait until next year for quarterbacks on the Lions. They have two first round picks next year. They have a pick that their own, and then they still have another first round pick from the Rams. So they should be ammunition rich next year to put themselves in position to get a quarterback in that class. So I don't think the move is to force the Malik Willis pick here, and it doesn't seem like that's what they're going to do. To me, I listed off all their needs, but I said it when Luca picked Aiden Hutchinson, For the Jaguars, the premier tippy-top blue-chip talent in this draft is on the edge, and the Lions have a screaming need there. Trey Flowers was a cap casualty. Romeo Okoro is coming off a season-ending injury. Their best defensive end last year was Charles Harris, who led the team with seven sacks. They need an impact edge in the worst way. So with Hutchinson off the board, who I think would be a no-brainer pick for them had he fallen to pick two, it comes down to Kayvon Thibodeau and Trevon Walker. And to me, reading the tea leaves, it seems like Kayvon Thibodeau is not a culture fit with Dan Campbell. There's some personality issues there. I didn't read into all of that, but I've read enough articles that said maybe his personality is not a fit for what the Lions are trying to do with Dan Campbell. So with the second pick in our mock draft, I have the Detroit Lions taking defensive lineman Trevon Walker. Wow.
1: Well said, I just want to first start with well said I'm sitting if I, if that's how they announced the pick, I wish they almost announced picks that way. That's how good that was. Thank you. My God. Um, yeah, it's funny. And I'll get into my thoughts on that pick more so with the next pick coming up now. Um, because of course we did this blind. We did this where we only knew what ourselves were doing, not each other. So we kind of had to make safety picks. And we that's already a, That's it. a
0: good point. Let's point this out. We have not This is not something we did off the air. We are we are doing this live. We are finding out what each other is doing on the show. So I want everybody to know that. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, you're good. So I will say the third pick if you did not do that would have been Trevon Walker. And and it's a great point to bring up about culture. I think I've seen it else, you know, along with you elsewhere, where Dan Campbell has pointed out that you know Thibodeau may not fit that culture that he's trying to build there. And that's clearly the most important thing to him in that building. I mean, when he was hired, that's all they could talk about. And overall, I think that's a great pick. I think, I think to me as well, that pick at two just makes a lot of sense and is almost in a way a no-brainer, just like number one was.
0: What would be concerning to me from the Lions standpoint is Trevon Walker is not a finished product. Aiden Hutchinson comes into the league and you feel very comfortable that even if he doesn't become that high end, all pro level player, he's going to be a very good player for years to come. Think of a guy like Chris Long, who was drafted second overall in the draft and never was the best player in the league or even in that conversation. But he was an important part of very good teams, won a couple rings along the way. Aiden Hutchinson just has so many skills, so many skill sets that it's hard to imagine a scenario where he just fizzles out of the NFL. Trevon Walker, completely different. He has freakishly athletic talent. Um, he does not right now possess the pass rush moves of an Aiden Hutchinson or even a Kayvon Thibodeau, and those need to be refined. But I think for the Lions, this is a swing for the fences kind of pick. And if you hit on a guy like Trayvon Walker, it's a pick that's going to set you up for your defense for years to come to be dominant. So we have two picks off the board and we now go to Luca on the clock for number three with the Houston Texans.
1: And just like that, the Houston Texans are very upset because as I just pointed out, we were really hoping that Walker would end up there at number three. So we're kind of scrambling a little bit here. I did have our needs similar to the lions. It's written down in one word. It's everything. And as a Houston Texans front office member, you look at this roster and you're just like, I mean, you almost can do no wrong. There is needs across the board. I mean, there's a reason you're sitting at three. They honestly could be a roster that should be at number one. Uh, they just somehow walked their way into a couple wins during the year. And uh, here we are at number three. And it's kind of a repeating theme here, but it's almost fitting for the draft we're in where one of the biggest issues you look at right now with the Houston Texans is that defensive line and a lack of a superior edge rusher and they've uh, think about the Texans of the past you had JJ Watt you had Jadavian Clowney you had these absolute staples at that position to just rely on and I mean technically with those two at one point they overlapped I believe and it's just crazy to think about now how could I forget Mario Williams by the way that just popped in my head oh horrible by me but you need that guy on the defensive side that can potentially be a game breaker. And there's a guy on this draft board still right now, even at three that before was considered potentially to be the first overall pick, especially going into the 2021 season, both in college and the NFL, obviously. So last fall he was viewed as the number one pick. And it's amazing that if you're sitting at three and you need a franchise edge defender to just build the next era of defense around and everything like that. It just fell into your lap. You kind of have to you know, ignore some of the cautions and red flags that might be out there and just take a swing on a potential franchise edge defender. And that if you can really get the most out of him and make him focused and locked in, as a lot of people like to point out, he is an absolute game breaker from the edge position, and he will win you games on his own, potentially. So with the third pick in our mock draft here today, the Houston Texans are selecting edge defender Kavon Thibodeau out of Oregon. And I'm pretty sure I said that name wrong.
0: Wow. So I every mock I've seen has had the Texans going O-line. It doesn't mean they have to be right. I definitely understand the logic. And I do think there are three big defensive ends in this draft who you could make the argument are better prospects than the three offensive tackles. The offensive tackles are very good players too. It's no knock on them. But if the Texans are truly going best player available in a situation where sure, anything they pick is going to check a need, just name it. They need it. This pick makes a lot of sense. I like it. You know, I I'd love to come on here and criticize you for saying, Oh, they should have taken this. They should have taken that. They need a new football team. So starting with a defensive man, an edge rusher who. By all accounts, could have gone number one overall and nobody would have really complained about it. You know, in an AFC that we talk about, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, all these quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, you better be able to sack the quarterback. We saw that with the Bills going after Von Miller. We saw him make <laughs> 30 million a year or whatever his contract turned out to be. So you can get a Thibodeau. On a cost controlled rookie deal for the next five years, if that hits, that's a great move. So I like it a lot. Texans get Thibodeau.
1: Yeah, I mean, so when looking around and trying to see what the Texans needed, obviously, as we just keep pointing out, they need everything. And diving into it a little bit more. Yeah, of course, a lot of mocks out there do have them taking a nice staple tackle. There's there's two or three, depending on how, you know, who you're talking to. Most people would say three, you know, elite or top tier tackles in this year's draft and I can totally understand that thought process especially being that Laramie Tunsil for all due respect is not really working out at left tackle but at the same time Laramie Tunsil isn't exactly a bum either it's not like he's completely useless and you know that's not saying much because their right tackle situation is of course awful and their offensive line does not look great as a whole but there is that glaring need everywhere else as well And when you have, I can't even say this person's name, but if you look up a depth chart and you see Okoronako, I can't even say that name, but he is your starting defensive end. That to me and me alone, potentially screams draft an elite edge rusher because holy crap, I can't even pronunciate this guy's name like that. (laughs) That was what I saw. I mean, to be all honest, I was like, I don't know how the Texans can go into a war room and look at this roster and just how awful it is to be frank and be like, yep, you know what? We're going to take, you know, an offensive tackle here because that's going to move the needle in my opinion, as little as it possibly could for this team. And now you could be targeting next year's draft. Of course, they do have a first round pick later in this year's draft. You know, there's obviously tons of things that can be done to drastically improve this draft. But at this point, I mean, you have to take a guy, even though it is viewed as a risk to a lot of people, especially it sounds like in the NFL, you have to take a guy that if you get his ceiling, he can destroy games for you on the defensive side of the ball. And it just would make no sense to do anything otherwise.
0: So the next pick is going to be the New York Jets picking here at fourth. And that's me. Totally forgot to pass that off to you. My bad. That's okay. I'm here to pass the ball to myself. Kind of like the opposite of what I do when I play pickup basketball. Um, the jets, I gotta be honest, Luca, we are heartbroken, heartbroken. Um, there was only one scenario where this mock could fall awful for us. And it was with all three edge defenders coming off the board. Boom, boom, boom. As far as the elite ones go, I will quickly tell you why I had pinpointed edge as the main need for the jets, because I do think if one of these guys falls to them, they will scoop him up no matter which one it is. It's because, one, Robert Sala comes from the San Francisco 14. 40- oh, first of all, first of all, let me back this up. I got to give credit where credit is due. My research this week consisted of listening to podcasts, reading materials. I didn't really have to do much of that for the Jets because as crazy as Luca and I are about the bills, consuming bills, content, reading, listening, yada, 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 following the tea leaves, we have a friend, we'll just call him Flip. That is that way about the Jets. If he wanted to do a Jets chat podcast, he absolutely could. And it would be great to listen to. I sourced him. We, I shot all these scenarios at him and he gave me a laundry list of what he thinks the Jets will do, who they're interested in, what they need to do. And he is basically my assistant general manager in this war room. And I am relying on the stuff he told me. And I did ask him today, what about the worst case scenario if all three defensive ends go to start, the reason why I pinpointed defensive ends for the Jets is as mentioned, Sala comes from San Francisco. They're used to having the loaded defensive line with guys like Buckner, guys like Bosa. They won a lot of games that way. And while the Jets have some players there, Carl Lawson, who's coming off of the season ending injury, they do think he can be an impact edge for them. Quinton Williams has had a career arc similar to Ed Oliver, where he's flashed. Um, Ed Oliver really came on last year. I think Quinny Williams is a guy they still hold out a lot of hope for, but he hasn't become that dominant game changer that they thought they were getting at the top of the draft. Still think he can be that. And then John Franklin Myers is a nice piece for them too. But what they really need, like we talked about with Von Miller earlier this offseason, was they need that Batman on defense. And I think that they would be hoping they get one of those guys to fall to them at pick four. That didn't happen. I do think, based on what Flip told me, The Jets are very high on Jermaine Johnson, and I think if this happens, he would be in the conversation at four. Um, He is an impact defensive end. It does feel like he's a bit of a notch below those other guys. He is going to be a 24-year-old rookie. That has to factor in when you're picking fourth in the draft. You want to pick a 24-year-old rookie. I think the fourth pick is just a little too rich for Jermaine Johnson, so I think the Jets are going to let this edge need go for now. They do know they have a pick coming up later in this first round at 10 overall. Maybe he falls to them there. Maybe if he starts falling, they trade up for him. But for now, I think they're content to not do the defensive end thing. So to me, that leaves two major needs. Safety, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it defensive back and wide receiver. Wide receiver, much like the situation with Jermaine Johnson, there's just not a talent in this draft that warrants picking fourth overall. There's a bunch of good receivers that either have injury issues or they check four out of five boxes, but they're missing one thing. Nobody you want to take fourth overall. Plus, I do think it's realistic that the Jets are kicking the tires on Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, um, maybe even DK Metcalf, although that seems a little bit less likely. Um, so that's something to watch for. But I think the Jets are going to focus on getting an impact defensive back with this pick. So to me, it comes down to two players with this situation. Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, and Sauce Gardner, the cornerback. In this scenario, as much as I like Kyle Hamilton, you have to remember the Jets are the same team that took Jamal Adams sixth overall. He ended up being kind of a disappointment. He was a good, not great player, a little limited in coverage. I think Kyle Hamilton's a better player than Jamal Adams. But I think what the Jets are going to do is they're going to go with the safer, more traditionally impactful player position wise with sauce Gardner and just get themselves locked up at cornerback. They're going to feel really good about where they're at with cornerback. I think there's disappointment in the jets room that they weren't able to get one of their impact pass rushers. We know they're interested in wide receivers because they did make a strong play for Tyreek Hill and they still need something to add to that mix with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios. Denzel Mims has been a nothing. Um, You know, I do think, They'd be tempted to go safety here, but at the end of the day, you missed out on defensive end. Let's just take the next best thing and take a guy that we think can be a lockdown cornerback for the next 10 years. You're in a division with Josh Allen. Mac Jones looked pretty good last year. Um, the Dolphins now have Tyreek Hill. Let's make sure we can cover some people. So with the fourth pick, the New York Jets select Sauce Gardner.
1: Yeah, it'd break my heart a little bit. Obviously, it's a corner. It's the best corner we're seen by a lot you know, off the board, but at the same time, you know, as a Bills fan, we'll step it back a little bit. I'm not surprised, you know, it's definitely, yeah, we had the run of the three, we'll call them blue chip edge rushers. They're blue chips in their own minds. However you want to look at them, of course, you know, they might not be Bosa's, but they're blue chips. So now you're sitting here at four, the Jets are picking, they're in your division and they take Sauce Gardner. It makes sense. I do think what you brought up about Jermaine Johnson II is valid. I think you would view that potentially as a reach, although you could get talent out of him that would warrant that pick. You could even easily see him there, as you said, at 10. So with all of that in mind, it's a good pick by the Jets. I mean, it's, it's the most NFL-ready corner there is in this draft. It's a position they absolutely need for now and in the future and everything in between they need other things as well but the value is there everything about that pick would be viewed as a success i think by everyone involved it it's i don't, I don't want to put the no brainer tag again on it but it's it's something similar to that it it makes a lot of sense where you're not upsetting one person around the entire organization with that pick whatsoever
0: and i do think that if these top 3 picks go edge 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 The Jets are a prime candidate to try to trade down. Every team says they want to trade down. You have to have a dance partner to do that. I don't know what a team would be motivated to come up for. Maybe they want to get that first quarterback off the board. Maybe somebody wants to get ahead of the Giants, thinking the Giants are going to take the top offensive tackle. You just never know. Um, So maybe somebody wants to come up and get Sauce Gardner. You just don't know. But I think the Jets could very easily be talked into trading down if they miss out on those three edges. But we just did the New York Jets, let's stay in New York, New Jersey, and go to the fifth pick with Luca and the New York Giants.
1: I am feeling great here at number five, and everything about the draft ahead of me as a Giants front office member has gone perfectly. Everything about this draft I am loving as those picks are coming off the board, and I'm sitting here at five thinking I could go many different directions, kind of. You know, there are definitely needs for the Giants in a few different places to put us in the position that we are here at five, just like everyone before us and, you know, immediately after us. But we have picks five and seven, which is a very interesting place because the pick in between us is the Panthers and the Panthers could do a lot of things themselves included. So in my opinion, if I were sitting in, you know, I'm Joe Schoen. I just said his name wrong. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm the Giants front office.
0: <laughs> Flag on the play.
1: Yeah, I'm the Giants front office in a new era here. I'm not going to say that I'm struggling with names, so I'm just going to stop saying names altogether tonight for the most part. Um, and I'm, I'm loving everything about this. And I understand that, you know, coming from where I did, there's two places that really impact the play. And both those areas of the field never touch the ball for the most part. That's the defensive line. And that is the offensive line. Those individuals make things happen. And those are both places that I find myself needing things more with the defensive line and edge, you know, interior D line, the Giants were sitting here. Okay. Um, And edge isn't horrible either, but the offensive line though, oh boy, has it been bad? It's been bad for a long time. you you can really make an argument for Daniel Jones that you still have no idea what you have in him as a quarterback because of how bad this offensive line has been. And with all of this in mind, you now sit in a draft where on my big board, the number two guy is still sitting there, just calling my name, waiting for me to pick him. So with all of that said, with the fifth pick, In this draft, the New York Giants are selecting offensive tackle Evan Neal out of of Alabama. My bad.
0: That's a great pick. You know, and when you look at it, and I'm not going to spoil anything I'm doing with Carolina, but they obviously have a screaming need at tackle. So if you're the Giants and you're picking fifth and seventh, and you know you want to get tackle, and then whatever other position you're talking about, you mentioned both lines, so maybe you're looking at a defensive end, you want to take the tackle you want ahead of Carolina because there's a very good chance that Carolina is going to take that guy. So to have Neil bookend with Andrew Thomas, whatever quarterback the Giants decide on, whether it's Daniel Jones, um, whether it's, I don't even know who they signed a backup quarterback. I kept wanting to say Trubisky and that wasn't it. Um, But the Giants, they're eventually going to take a quarterback with Brian Dable and to come into a situation where you have bookend tackles is just so much better than what we've seen other teams do with their quarterbacks. I will say about the Giants, though, Joe Shane, that's how you say his name, Luca, and Brian Dayball, they come from under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, where things are very tight-lipped. We have not heard the Giants linked to any of these quarterbacks at all. And it sure seems like the Giants are content to ride this season out with Daniel Jones. I at least have a glimmer... Of a thought that maybe Brian Dable's line in the weeds, daydreaming about plays he could draw up for Malik Willis. Just a thought. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen that anywhere. But if the Giants were interested in Malik Willis, I can promise you none of us would know about it because they come from that let's keep it all in-house background. I just want to throw that out there. Wouldn't stun me, but I think this pick makes way too much sense. And I think you did a really good job with it.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah, this was out of everything we did, even with me having the first overall pick, which means no one could have screwed it up on me by taking them before me. I still was more confident in my fifth pick than my first pick. That's how confident I was. I, this, I, I did not think that offensive tackle was eventually going to be taken before this, you know, based on me having one and three. And I did think Houston would lean the edge rusher option. So with that in mind, I mean, if the Giants end up with Evan Neal here at five, I I don't even think seven needs to happen. Of course, it does need to happen, but I don't even think it needs to happen for it to be viewed as a success. I think it is a home run pick. I think it is a pick that really makes them feel comfortable. And then they can maybe even, you know, take a swing or, you know, see what's there at seven after the Panthers make a move. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to pass it over to you. The Carolina Panthers are now on the clock.
0: They are on the clock, and they are an interesting team. There is a lot going on with this Panthers pick. First of all, if they stay at six, it's going to be the last time we see the Panthers until day four. They don't pick again until I think a 134. They still are missing picks from trading for Sam Darnold, who for whatever reason, after trading for him, they just blindly picked up his fifth year $19 million option and he is on this roster, and they have no flexibility to get away from him. So the Panthers have no quarterback, but they're paying $19 million for a quarterback that most of the league views as a broken project. Other things going on with the Panthers. Matt Rule is very much on the hot seat. So what does that mean? We've already seen him make Joe Brady the scapegoat by firing him midseason last year. When you're in a situation where you're on the hot seat, you feel pressure to win right away. So I think that could lead the Panthers to looking for a safe quarterback because this really is, when you look at this roster, it is not a bad roster. They have had some solid draft picks, particularly on the defensive side of the ball in recent years, where if they just trade for a quarterback like, say, a Jimmy Garoppolo, even like a Baker Mayfield, and they added him to that room, and then they stayed here and drafted a tackle to short that offensive line with the defense they already have, I think they could be a playoff team, especially in the NFC, and that would be enough to save Matt Rule's job. I think tackle is their biggest need outside of quarterback. When you look at it, they have Brady Christensen, who is considered a serviceable starter at left tackle, but much better for left guard. If you take a tackle here, you move Christensen to guard, you have a strong guard, and then you also have a strong tackle with the guy you take at sixth overall. So let's take a look at it. If they take a tackle, what are they going to do at quarterback? Are they going to trade for Baker Mayfield? Well, that idea was put out there this week, and Robbie Anderson commented on some story on Twitter or Instagram basically saying, that's not a good idea. So that leaves the Panthers with Jimmy Garoppolo. All of this leads me to think that even though Matt Rule needs to win this year to save his job, and he is going to be eyeing a quarterback to come in and steady the ship, that he might think his best option to do that is in the draft. If you're picking from a point of desperation, you tend to not make the smartest picks in the world. Because sitting at pick six, if you're going to take a quarterback, I would stand here and tell you to bet on the traits of Malik Willis. He's mobile, he's got a cannon for an arm, and he is a ball of clay that you can mold into something that could be on eventually, way down the line potentially, the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes level. The problem in Carolina is Matt Rule doesn't have time to mold somebody who's going to come in with the six pick and maybe not help him right away. So I am going a long way to say, I think what's going to happen at pick six is the Panthers are going to trade down. I think they're going to try to trade down to the middle of the draft, even if they take a loss on the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, just to recoup some second and third round picks. But I feel very confident that the Panthers are going to leave the draft with this player. When Matt Rule was at Temple, he recruited this guy to be on his team. And this guy committed to his team before eventually committing elsewhere. This is going to surprise people. I feel much more confident that the Panthers are going to get him with a trade down. But I feel very confident the Panthers are going to get this guy to steady the ship, improve their quarterback situation, and potentially potentially get the Panthers to the playoffs with the sixth pick the Carolina Panthers shocked the world and take the first quarterback off the board Kenny Pickett wow
1: so just wow um I love it as a Bills fan I'll say that you know Awkward long pauses now put aside here. Let me just start talking. I love it as a Bills fan. I mean, it's a quarterback off the board. Now, just as a general football fan for a second, I definitely agree with the sense of trading down. Now, the interesting part of it all is the fact that Kenny Pickett is viewed as a quarterback ready to come in and make an impact. because. I just don't see it with any of these quarterbacks. Now, could he be the one out of all of them that potentially can do that? Yes, probably. But even then, man, I am nervous for him. But all of that pushed aside, everything you pointed out, connecting the dots, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. You can't expect to get results with Sam Darnold. So you need to do something at that position. That is, I mean... There is no position more important than the quarterback as a bills fan. We all know that we luckily now have 17 and we don't have to deal with that problem. Well, wherever those Panther fans are, they now understand this problem. And Matt rule definitely understands this problem. And whether it's by trading down and then picking him or taking him at six, it's definitely likely in both scenarios that they still take this guy. You really hope as a Panthers fan, if you're watching this, they, Or listening to this or whatever, whatever. Watching the draft on the day is what I meant initially. You really hope they don't take him at six. And you, you know, if they wanted him, they could trade down because realistically they could still find him there and it would be a gamble worth it to then get more assets. But I think you did a great job painting it all out. You know, this is how they evaluate the situation. This is where they need to be, and this is how Matt Rule can ultimately try to save his job. And I say try because Me personally, I don't see it happening. I think the rule era is really quick to ending. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, you did a great job painting out that picture and and really uh, saying where you had him because um, that is well, well-spoken. Again, I really wish you would be able to, you know, say the draft. Can we get you hired by the NFL? That'd be great. Um,
0: You could be my agent.
1: There you go. Uh, I'll also just add one last thing just for my personal position rankings. Kenny Pickett on my big board is 44th overall in the fourth quarterback. Just want to point that one out.
0: So we talked about before we're making these picks, or at least I am, and you can speak at how your logic is from what I think the teams are going to do. I'm going to take off my Carolina Panthers hat now. Cause I do think that Kenny Pickett's a guy that they really want to leave the draft with for all the reasons I laid out before and this is just a me analyzing the draft situation, I would hate this so much. I would hate this so, so much. If you're a fan of the Panthers, you're going to be a fan of the Panthers in 2022, 2023, 2032. So you look at this draft as what's the best move for now and the future. Unfortunately, you're in a situation with a team that has a coach coaching for his job, and he has all the stroke in the organization. And when you're desperate, you make desperate moves. This is a self-preservation move. He he is gonna. He's looking for a guy that can come in self prever, preservation. Excuse me. Um, he is going. He's looking for a guy to come in and just be an upgrade over Sam Darnold. Think of rookie year Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was ready to come in and play right away. He was a finished product essentially at quarterback. Now that we've gotten to year three and four, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have lapped him four times over. But for Matt Rule. If year one doesn't go well, year two doesn't matter anyway, and Kenny Pickett is somebody else's problem. It's just all the wrong reasons to make a pick, and I think that the Panthers are going to make this kind of pick. I hope for their fans' sake they go tackle here and don't let Rule pick the quarterback that's going to be here for the guy who gets the job after him, or at least if they do pick Kenny Pickett, they do what the Bills did with EJ Manuel and trade down and get some extra picks to do so. At six, this would be a tough pill to swallow, and I would feel the pain of Panthers fans who would be questioning a lot of decisions this organization has made when, reality-wise, they have made some really strong picks, have a good roster, but unfortunately, they just have not been able to solve that quarterback situation. They were in on Deshaun Watson. We know that. They aggressively went after Sam Darnold. That didn't work out, and now we know Baker Mayfield doesn't really want to play there, although he might be running out of options. So it comes down to do you want to trade for a Jimmy Garoppolo or do you just want to draft yourself a Kenny Pickett? And I think that's what they're going to do is they're going to take Kenny Pickett. So now we have the New York Giants back on the clock. At pick five, they took the offensive tackle Evan Neal. Luca, what are the Giants going to do at pick seven?
1: So remember when I said at five I was feeling good? We're feeling phenomenal. Oh, this draft. This is a New York Giants draft. Holy shit. (laughs) I am feeling great. And um, you know, we're sitting here, we took Evan Neal, we got our franchise tackle or we think. Of course, you don't know until you know, but we have our franchise tackle. We hopefully have already improved our offensive line. You could technically take another tackle here. There is another great tackle. There is two more great tackles on the board. Seems a little ridiculous, though. I don't think anyone's ever pulled off that kind of move, and I don't think the Giants are going to start there today or on draft day. So with all of that mind, the other need that I mentioned that they had was basically their defense. And to be more specific, the defensive backfield, or even more specific than that, the cornerback situation in New York is very interesting. And I point that out because... We've talked about it in previous pods to pull off the Giants hat real quick about Bradbury and his contract situation and the potential for them trying to maybe move him, if not cut him, because they don't feel that his contract warrants the player that he is and how the Bills might even be interested in a player like him. So with that in mind, there could be a glaring hole there at cornerback. And to you know cut this long thing short, because I don't want to keep going on and on. But there's a guy still sitting there that has one of the best tapes. Now, it might have been two years ago, but one of the, and actually three years ago, if you think about it, but it's one of the best tapes out there for a player in this year's draft. And he was unbelievable coming into college as a freshman. And it, it was it was just I would me as a fan of college football was in awe of this guy. And even there. Watching this freshman, I was like, he is going to be a top five pick in the draft whenever he comes into the draft. Now we're sitting here at seven. That obviously is not going to happen, but that tells you where his ceiling is. Unfortunately, his play did not keep at that pace in college because if it did, he could even be potentially the first overall pick in this draft. But with all of that said and everything done, and I'm not going to ramble anymore with the seventh pick. In this draft, the New York Giants are selecting cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. out of Louisiana State University.
0: That's a really strong pick. I like it. I think the argument could be made that maybe they go for Jermaine Johnson to really shore up that defensive line. But I want to tell you that Joe Shane comes from Buffalo, obviously. And while Brandon Bean wasn't here in 2017, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we all kind of know that it was they knew he was coming, That's just they didn't have it official yet because they wanted to get through the draft. The Bills' first pick when they were rebuilding the culture was Tredavious White, also a cornerback from LSU. Now, that doesn't have to mean anything. But to me, I don't really think there's a way that Evan Neal is a bust. I have a hard time seeing somebody with Stingley's athletic profile being a bust. When we talked about cornerbacks on our show, you were higher on Stingley than I was. I've come around quite a bit. I was listening to a podcast with an LSU play-by-play, play-by-play guy excuse me, on there talking about some of the struggles he went through after his freshman year. The sophomore year was... Um, I believe the COVID year where everybody was just thrown for a and Nobody was really um, playing. that it had half their roster. They were defending the national championship and half their roster was out and he got hurt. And then last year he got hurt. So it stands to reason that a guy that knows he's going to be a first round pick in the draft and is now starting to suffer injuries in college might just put it into neutral. I've already won a national championship. I've already cemented myself as a first round pick. The worst thing I can do right now is put myself in a situation where I tear my ACL or I break my neck making a tackle. That's obviously an extreme situation, but you get the point. You don't want to Willis McGehee yourself and have a huge injury right before the draft season. So you could see that from that standpoint. I really like Stingley. I think he's a lot closer to Sauce Gardner than I gave him credit for when we first started talking about that. Hat tip to you. You were on him right away and said you might even take him over Sauce Gardner. I think Stingley's a home run pick for the Giants. One more point here before I kick it back to you. It's important to remember who the Giants defensive coordinator is. Wink Martindale. He comes from Baltimore where they had Marcus Peters and they were playing man coverage and just blitzing man coverage across the board. It's hard to do if you have guys that can't cover. If they can work this situation out with Bradbury, which seems unlikely, but you have Stingley and Bradbury. It's a pretty nice cornerback duo. I think there would have been a lot of conversation about Jermaine Johnson here, but I think for a Giants fan, getting Stingley is a really solid pick. I think he did a good job with it.
1: Yeah. And and it's a great point to bring up. I mean, I obviously mentioned there's, you know, Bradbury's a potential trade slash cut candidate, although I don't actually think they'll cut him. I, I do think it's a trade if the offer is good enough and valuable enough but I don't think they'll ultimately cut him. So then with all of that said, yeah, I keep saying that phrase now. Um, but yeah, I, they could have them as a one-two. And I get the Jermaine Johnson thing. I really do. But Stingley is just elite talent, and I'm going to tip my hat to myself. I, If I am in that front offense, I could never – not pick him at seven. I couldn't do that with a glaring need there. And you can get him just shredding it up. He could be shredding it up year one. Cause as you mentioned, I mean, if the motivation comes back and everything's good, holy crap. I mean, I, I really do think that I would have taken him over sauce Gardner. uh, If, if sauce Gardner wasn't so hot last year and Derek Stingley just kind of faded into the distance as much as he could. I mean, that's that's what it took for that to almost sway, because if if sauce Gardner had a good year but wasn't as shut down as he was for Cincinnati, who also had a very good year themselves, Derek Stingley's probably still the number one corner on the board with the same exact season he just had. So it's to me, that was the pick I, I I'll tell you right now. The the second option I had was if sauce Gardner fell that tells you where my mind was, that tells me tells you where I was thinking. And as you pointed out with where your mindset was with your picks, mine are definitely more skewed on where I felt need was more appropriate. I definitely took also new account when it comes to where, you know, teams and media and insiders feel these players are ranked and valued because I can't just be going there doing my own, you know, big board. So there was waiting involved with that. But I really do believe the Giants are looking at this and with everything in all you know, everything looked at, I do believe that they will ultimately in this scenario end up with Derek Stingley. So all of that said and everything done, we're now going on to the eighth pick. So the Atlanta Falcons are now on the clock.
0: This is gonna be a tough one. I've been wrestling with this one all day long. I think there's really two directions the Falcons can go, maybe three. And let's get into it. So when you look at the Atlanta Falcons, they have an absence of weapons. Julio Jones got traded last offseason. Calvin Ridley suspended for the entire season. Russell Gage went to play in Tampa. Currently, when you look at their depth chart, their number one receiver is Auden Tate. Now they do have Kyle Pitts. He was their pick last year. And there's already some rumblings in Atlanta that fans are like, hey, As cool as Kyle Pitts is, maybe we should have taken Mac Jones or Justin Fields because we have this quarterback need. And maybe along the same lines as when the Giants took Saquon Barkley, it's like, hey, as cool as this player is as a skill position player, is this really what we needed to do when we had a desperate need at quarterback? Granted, Matt Ryan was on the roster last year. Just an interesting parallel to get into. So, what do we know about the Falcons? We know they were aggressively. Going after Deshaun Watson. In fact, up until the Adam Schefter tweet came out that Watson was going to Cleveland, it seemed like Atlanta was getting Watson. And it got so aggressive that even after they missed out, the Falcons did Matt Ryan a solid and traded him to Indianapolis because he could kind of tell they weren't interested in moving forward with him. They need a quarterback, they signed Marcus Mariota. Anybody with a brain, two eyes, and a neutral brain that doesn't have Falcon's colors on or maybe a member of the Mariota family views that as a one-year Band-Aid. So I think Malik Willis is very much in play here. I think in a, in a way, because of what we had the Panthers doing at six, he falls into their laps. Now, let's talk about some other needs before we come back to quarterback. Edge. They had a league-low 18 sacks last year in 2021, and then they went on to release their best pass rusher in Dante Fowler. Offensive tackle. PFF rated their offensive line in 2021 as the 27th offensive line in the league, 29th in pass-blocking efficiency, and basically they're running it back with the same crew, and they signed a couple of free agents who were just kind of also-rans to compete with Caleb McGarry. So what am I getting at here? We think they have a very poor offensive line, they don't have any weapons to throw to, and their defense can't stop a nosebleed. So as much as I would like to see as a Falcons fan my team take it to this exciting quarterback with all the tools to maybe be great, it's not like he's a can't-miss prospect, what would you be dropping Malik Willis into in a situation with no receivers, no offensive line, and a bad defense? You'd probably be setting him up to fail. He's already a raw prospect. He already needs to learn how to play quarterback since he played at Liberty. He's going to be learning on the job, and you're going to drop him into maybe the worst roster in the NFL. That's what we're looking at with the Falcons. I'm not sure what the Falcons are going to do. I just think that in this scenario, the smart move is be honest with yourself. You're probably going to be bad enough this year to have a high enough pick next year to get one of the quarterbacks. Let's build the roster up around that quarterback. So when we drop in a rookie quarterback next year, it's not as scary of a situation. So what do the Falcons do? I think they get a bit of a gift. Three edge rushers go early on in the draft. Giants take a cornerback after taking another tackle. And that mainly the gift was the Panthers took Kenny Pickett instead of taking an offensive tackle. So what that did was it allowed one of the offensive tackles that could have gone as high as two or three, and nobody would have said anything, to fall into their laps at eight. So with the eighth pick, the Falcons pass up the temptation to take the young, exciting quarterback who I think will be tempting, and instead they go with the smart pick and take offensive tackle Akeem Aquanu.
1: You really had me going, thinking they were gonna t- you were gonna have them take Malik Willis. I'll be honest, you really had me going. That was <laughs> Again, I'm just going to keep pointing it out. Very well said. You you definitely did a much deeper dive, and I'm just going to point it out so everyone can understand. You did a much deeper dive into needs and history and things like that, which I did, and I'm not going to just you know discredit myself, but to, I mean, you painted a perfect picture, and it, it it all it makes all the sense in the world. And I'm trying to think, and and this is me going completely off the cuff after everything you just said. When did the Falcons take Matt Ryan, and then when did they take Jake Matthews?
0: So Matt Ryan would have been two thousand and seven or eight There was a Ryan in the Stafford draft, and I want to say Ryan was first, so Ryan would have been eight and Stafford was nine, but Matthews was a few years later, I believe I think he was maybe in even in the Darius draft. no Matthews was in two thousand. 13. I think I don't know. The year that the the Chiefs took Eric Fisher, I want to say. That's
1: what I okay, that's what I was trying to I was just trying to make sure I remembered that. I I wasn't sure if it was that way or not. But I remember thinking with the Matt Ryan teams, they were good. I mean, remember, they made the playoffs Maddie Ice the first year. They made the playoffs uh I'm pretty sure that's the uh, team that the old Cardinals beat in the first round. But um I remember thinking they were a good team, but they just needed to build an offensive line around it, and eventually they did. Although Jake Matthews didn't become an elite guy, but he was still good, and everything of that nature. So why not do it a little bit better with something falling into your lap, such as the individual you drafted, Akeem Akwunu? I think I just said that right. Wow, pat on the back for me. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was my fifth on the big board, and I I love everything about him. Like I could easily see, you know, the Giants taking him at five or seven, depending on how those picks break out. And there's another guy still sitting there on the board that could even be in this discussion as well. So maybe the Falcons even take him here and I won't say his name because he will be revealed eventually, I am sure. But it was overall, I think it's well said. And I do think all these teams, such as the Falcons, such as, I mean, the Panthers probably should be as well, but obviously we discussed all of that. There are teams with quarterback needs that maybe they should have an eye on the future. And the Falcons are in a great position where they can look at next year's draft for that franchise guy and maybe not put Malik Willis in a situation like the Bears did with Justin Fields last year. (laughs) So I think overall, the pick makes complete sense. You did a great job describing it all and laying it all out there for the Falcons fans. And I know they would really appreciate how you just spoke it all into existence.
0: Yeah, and I think there'll be that natural disappointment from a lot of fans like, hey, we lost Matt Ryan. We have this Malik Willis fall into our laps. You better hope Malik Willis isn't great because who knows if you'll be in position to draft a quarterback. Normally, I'm not in favor of kicking the quarterback need down the road, but I think this is a unique situation where the roster is that bad. The prospect that fell into your laps at offensive tackle is that good, and it just makes sense to me in this particular scenario for the Falcons to kick it down the road. Speaking of bird teams that need a quarterback, uh, the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock now at pick number nine, and there's only been one quarterback off the board. So Luca, as we know that going in, we'll see if the Seahawks are about to make it the second one with your Seattle Seahawks. Did you hack into my computer? Oh, no. Did I foreshadow (laughs) that?
1: You may have just played it off, but let's act like you didn't say that. I'm in the Seattle (laughs) room here, and I'm in an interesting spot. As everything's been transpiring in front of me, one of the needs that Seattle has is edge rusher. Now, you just watched one, two, three, edge, 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 go off the board. None of them somehow fell into your lap, and that's a disappointment for sure. I'm sure if a Thibodeau somehow does fall, which some have seen happen, Seattle could easily take him at nine and, you know. That coach up there that I will not say the name of because I do not respect him as a person. <sighs> he loves his projects. He loves his guys that maybe uh aren't all there. But it would make so much sense if a Thibodeau was on the board and they took him. And then also sitting here right now with how it's all transpired, Jermaine Johnson is sitting there. And you could easily see him off the board here at nine. And no one would bat an eye. It'd be a great pick, in my opinion. And I think that would be scary in the NFC West. I think Jermaine Johnson would be a perfect fit in the NFC West, especially when you have to defend the likes of a Trey Lance and possibly still in the future, Kyler Murray. Hint, hint. So with all of that in mind, though, I don't think they will go with a defensive end on the board. They could use offensive line, although they could have used offensive line for for probably the past three, four years. And I don't think they've done much with it in that regard. And they could use corners. But there's also not a corner here that I see is as valuable at nine. But there's finally one more need on this Seattle Seahawks team. It wasn't a need, say, 90 days ago. But they went ahead and traded their all-pro future Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson and now find themselves looking at a season where Drew Locke is your starting quarterback. and. If you're trying to look at the 2023 draft as potentially the one to take your QB of the future, I can get it. It makes total sense. It's very similar to Atlanta. You have a Band-Aid, although, I mean, I'd much rather have Mariota than Drew Locke, I'll be honest. But you have your Band-Aid to just get you through the year, get to the 2023 draft, and really build from there with the quarterback of the future there. The interesting thing that they find themselves in, though, however, is you have two very good wide receivers, one superstar wide receiver in DK Metcalf, who is also not happy with his money situation. And everyone knows it. And Lockett, honestly, he's a little more quiet. I'm sure he'd love a little bit more money too, because I'd probably say Lockett deserves more money than uh, what you call it, Christian Kirk. He's a better version of Christian Kirk. So you have these two guys that want to be competitive and you want to make them happy. You want to give them something to be happy about, and Drew Locke is not that. Drew Locke is not going to make you happy. We've seen what Drew Locke can do with nice, talented weapons around him. It's not great. It's not pretty. It doesn't get it done. Once in a while, he might get you a nice ball, but it's just not going to happen. So where am I leading you with this? Well, the other thing the Seattle Seahawks have done successfully in the past is win football games with a quarterback on a rookie contract. Hmm. Now you find yourself in a situation where one that is viewed as potentially the most talented one is sitting there at nine, and you can make everyone happy by paying them because you have a quarterback on a rookie contract and potentially still win a lot of football games as long as you can get the most out of it. So with all of that said, and wrapping this all up, at nine, I do not believe they will trade down to still make this pick. I think this will be the pick that happens if it all falls as it is at nine. The Seattle Seahawks draft quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty.
0: I love it. I think it's a perfect situation to drop him into because you talked about the receivers. You talked about, you know, Pete Carroll for what you may think about him. I'm not the biggest fan either. He knows how to groom a rookie quarterback and you know that with Rashad Penny and the way that people were begging, let Russ cook, let Russ cook, they can put Malik Willis on the field in a run-heavy offense and groom him while he's on the field. And I will tell you, there are going to be two very nervous teams, fan bases, in the NFC South that have to face Tom Brady twice a year, and both of them in this mock passed on Malik Willis, the Falcons and the Panthers. And now if he becomes a superstar in Seattle, they're going to have to live with that. The Panthers in our mock took picket. The Falcons kicked the quarterback need down the road till next year. And now we're going to find out what Malik Willis can do in Seattle. I love the pick. I can't poke any holes in it. Um, I, I mentioned if you need a quarterback, go get him. I've passed on a quarterback for several teams that need him, So I sound like a hypocrite, but this pick makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. I love it.
1: I love Malik Willis. I'm just going to start with that. Me personally, I love him. I love everything he can do. If you would have asked a person like myself four years ago, five years ago to look at Malik Willis and, you know, judge what I think I'd be like, oh man, a really traded Christian Hackenberg. And that's not good. But Josh Allen has opened my eyes. (laughs) Our Lord and savior has opened my eyes to maybe those toolsy, athletic quarterbacks like him can be something in this NFL and we have finally turned the page on when coaching and training and everything around you won't limit what you can do. It's going to try to get the most out of what you can do. But then on top of that all, as you brought up yourself, yeah, Pete Carroll, I'll say his name, screw it. Pete Carroll loves rookie quarterbacks. Don't let anyone fool you. The reason he was so successful at USC Was because he could build and do whatever he wanted around a quarterback that was basically, and I'm being polite and I don't mean it in any negative way, but let's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it what it was. He got a whooping boy at quarterback that was pretty talented. He did it with Carson Palmer. He did it with Matt Leinert. He did it with everyone else. That's what he wanted. He wanted a guy that would listen to him, but also had balls and ability to just make it happen out there for him. I'm not hating on Matt Liner at USC. I don't want anyone coming at me about it. I know there's, I I hate USC with a damn passion, but he loves those quarterbacks. He loves those rookies that will just do what he wants them to do, but also have the ability to make plays when he needs it. And Malik Willis checks all the boxes for that. He is going to give Pete Carroll everything he can. And then on top of it all, with like a nice cherry on top, you can make your DK Metcalf happy And everyone stays together and Pete Carroll can keep this thing a rolling. So with all of that said and everything done, and I keep wrapping it up in that way. So I'm going to have to figure out something else while you make this pick here. We'll figure it out. And with the 10th pick, the New York Jets are now on the clock.
0: So the Jets are on the clock again. And remember at pick four, they took Sauce Gardner. And I went into how I wanted the defensive ends to fall to the Jets And how they also needed safety. They still need safety. They still need wide receiver. And then obviously defensive end. Let's talk about safety for a second. Um, They do have a very pressing need there. They have a need for somebody to come in right away and play. They signed Jordan Whitehead in free agency. Um, They have LaMarcus Joyner coming back off of injury. But they lost Marcus May, who was their best safety from the last couple years. And then at wide receiver, they just need another weapon. So they took Elijah Moore last year, who was a really solid slot receiver. Um, They have Corey Davis as a big free agent signing last year, who can be a good boundary receiver. Braxton Berrios is a really high-end kick returner, who can be a nice fourth receiver, solid in the slot. Unfortunately, Denzel Mims has been a zero. Whatever reason, he's fallen out of favor with his coaching staff, and it seems like he's not long for this team. We know they were in on Tyreek Hill, so we know they recognize the needed receiver. One last thing I want to say about the Jets. Their owner, Woody Johnson, is back after four years as a U.S. ambassador in the U.K. That doesn't have to mean anything. It could just be something you mention when you say the Jets. But it also could speed up the clock on Joe Douglas, on Robert Sala, where now Woody Johnson has his eyes on the program. And say what you want to about Zach Wilson and the roster talent last year, it did not go well. I'll raise my hand and say I'm still a Zach Wilson believer. Luca, I know you still like a lot of things about Zach Wilson, but if year two looks like year one and Zach Wilson looks like still a quarterback that's not really functioning very well at the NFL level, I could see a situation where Woody Johnson goes in and says, all right, Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, this isn't working out. I wouldn't predict that, but just keep it in the back of your mind. Woody Johnson hasn't always been the best owner, the most patient owner. And now he's back paying attention to everything. At 10, there's been stories out there that the Jets like Jamison Williams. He could offer a lot of the same skills that Tyreek Hill offered. And we know the Jets were in on that, but we don't know when he's going to be ready to play football. So I think this leads me to believe the Jets will probably pass on wide receiver in this situation, having already gotten cornerback and had a defensive end that they really love not fall to them. I think the Jets probably would have ran the card up with Kyle Hamilton, but I mentioned it at pick four. They considered, I considered, Jermaine Johnson at four. It felt a little rich. We got Sauce Gardner. And we're going to roll the dice that he falls to us at 10. He fell to us at 10. This one, we don't even really have to overthink. The New York Jets... Got a cornerback at pick four. Now we get our edge rusher to really make Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, and John Franklin Myers all that much better to be the Batman to their Robins. With the New York Jets select Jermaine Johnson with the 10th pick in the mock draft.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's honestly, the New York teams had a great draft. that's that's all I'll say I mean Jermaine Johnson at 10 is a very nice pick it's 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 perfect for them because it fell to them and they were able to take value at their first pick and it just fell into their lap as I said so it's Jermaine Johnson honestly could be even better than one of those three viewed to be blue chip edge rushers he really could I mean he he had to transfer from Georgia to Florida State as everyone knows probably at this point because he just couldn't get playing time at Georgia but that Georgia team was stacked as we all have learned so and he excelled his tape at Florida State man holy crap it's very impressive he he has a lot of tools to him he he's a very very good player i i think you know he was a he's an edge rusher that at 9 say if Malik Willis was not on the board i thought Seattle would heavily consider of course because I think he'd be a good edge rusher with the lake, you know, with athletes such as Trey Lance and Kyler Murray in that division. I think it it made a lot of sense. So for the Jets to have him fall to them at 10. Yeah, it's it. And, and I mean, Sala of course, loves his edge and he loves building the scheme around it and everything it can do and the power it brings. You get your corner, you get your, yeah, you get your D end. I mean, that's, that's a good looking defense. And then, you know, you just hope you can get more value potentially for Zach Wilson later in the draft. I mean, it's when it comes to weapons, I should say. So, I mean, it's it's a great pick. Well said by you. Nice, simple. Don't overthink it. Take the guy. Move on.
0: And Flip mentioned a couple names that the Jets would be liking at the top of the second round if they fell there. Lewis sign out of Georgia. Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. I also think if the Jets aren't able to trade for one of those veteran wide receivers, They could look at maybe like a Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore, somebody that falls into the second round that maybe some mocks had projected as a first round, just depending on who would even be there. Maybe even a Christian Watson. All right. So we have made it through 10 picks of this mock draft. So just assuming that people that are listening, aren't writing this all down, we're going to go ahead and recap some of this with the first pick. Jacksonville took Aiden Hutchinson, the Detroit lions took Trevon Walker, the third defensive end off the board went to the Houston Texans and Kavon Thibodeau. At pick four, the New York Jets took Sauce Gardner. At pick five, the New York Giants took Evan Neal. At pick six, the Carolina Panthers, with the surprise of the draft, took Kenny Pickett. At pick seven, the New York Giants took Derek Stingley. At pick eight, the Atlanta Falcons took offensive tackle Akeem Aquano. At pick nine, the Seattle Seahawks took Malik Willis, quarterback. And at pick 10, the New York Jets took defensive end Jermaine Johnson. Now, Luca, we had talked about spending a little bit more time on the top 10 picks really to kind of dive into their situations. We're going to go a little bit quicker as we make our way to picks 25 for the bills. Um, but from a Bills standpoint now looking at the top 10, I think it's fallen pretty well for them. Unfortunately, two of the top cornerbacks are going, but I don't think any bills fan realistically thought that a Derek Stingley or a sauce Gardner was going to follow them. Um, but two quarterbacks going in the top 10 is a very good thing. And obviously, no wide receivers and no interior offensive linemen coming off the board. And really, if you want to say it's a need, no safeties have come off the board yet. So right now, I think it's sitting pretty for the Bills.
1: Yeah, I think it sits great. Two quarterbacks can almost, you know, counter the two corners, right? And as you said... I don't think any bills fan or any realistic bills fan out there is expecting them to fall to 25. If the bills really wanted to get one of those guys, they would have to make an insane aggressive push to trade up and get there. Maybe they trade with Carolina. (laughs) Oh, please don't. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think the first 10 fell, uh, fell very well for the bills. I think, um, overall there would be nothing to complain about. I think, um, uh, it's a, it's a good draft. It it also would be just kind of as expected somewhat. I mean, two, I will say if two quarterbacks do come off in the top 10, I would be a little surprised just as a general football fan as well. Um, the Kenny Pickett one, you kind of put a little bit of a half asterisk on it, of course, but you know, they're going to try to get their guy. You said, so it's interesting. Top 10 overall, I would be very happy with though.
0: All right, well, let's keep it moving. We're on to pick 11, and the Washington Commanders are on the clock, and that means you're on the clock, Luca. Who do the Commanders get?
1: Proud of you for saying the team name right. And we're going to, as you said, you know, speak a little quicker on this. But now that Washington's on the clock, this is a very interesting pick. As we've all looked out there on the mocks, this has been a fascinating pick you you would see the likes of Kyle Hamilton sitting there just waiting for them some view him to be one of the best athletes or talents in this draft i don't want to say athletes because of course he had kind of a subpar pro day and combine but his film tape pops his film tape pops i should say and everything about him as watching somewhat regularly with Notre Dame he he is a great great talent at safety he would come into any you know team and do great But that's not where I think Washington goes. I don't think Washington goes there at all because they just went out and somehow traded for Carson Wentz. Somehow this guy keeps getting starting gigs. And you look at the weapons in that room and in that building, and they have Logan Thomas at tight end. And now we'll look at wide receivers here because it's basically petrified Terrence, also known as Terry McLaurin, and no one else. And to me, that's not good enough. You can't expect Carson Wentz to do anything while he's spraining both of his ankles if only two weapons out there are even worth giving the ball. So, long story short, with the 11th pick in this draft, the Washington Commanders will be taking wide receiver Drake London out of University of Southern California.
0: This is a really strong pick because I think Drake London is a guy that is going to have a wide range of opinions on where he should go. If you look at some of that tape, you'd think maybe he's a guy that could even go in the top 10. And here he is just outside the top 10. Some people are going to be scared off by what's perceived as not an explosive player, but he wins in so many ways, not just as that big body catch guy. He has good routes. He uses his hands. Well, he gets open in other ways that don't rely on speed. And you mentioned it. There is a need for weapons there. Curtis Samuel did not work out. And when you take a look at Diami Brown is a guy that I really liked last year. Did not do much last year. And then Terry McLaurin, as good as he is, we both think he's excellent. He's in a contract situation. He might not be there much longer. So you have to restock the covered. And I think Drake London is just a really, really solid pick. I like it a lot and I don't really have anything negative to say about it.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that, I mean, Kyle Hamilton is very tempting and I'm not going to, you know, take too much time, of course, as we want to speed this up a little bit. Kyle Hamilton is very, very tempting, and I think it would be, you know, as almost expected if they took Kyle Hamilton, but I just, you want to win now. You want to try to change. I think 2021 and the disappointment that was of that season to this team and how drastically disappointing it was just is kind of lighting a fire under their butt. And I made a note of that. I really think that the move to get Carson Wentz was only because of how disappointing 21 was and they want to get back to the playoffs. And you honestly... The thing they need most to get back into the playoffs is just another weapon to give Wentz to hopefully turn that offense back around because the defense, you have the people. It just had a disappointing year. Run it back. It probably will have. I mean, you hope it would have a better year. So enough about Washington. We're going to move on to the 12th pick. So the Minnesota Vikings are now on the clock.
0: So I will tell you that the apple of the Vikings' eye, in my opinion, from doing research, is cornerback Derek Stingley. Uh, they have a pressing need there. He's already been gone in this draft, but Patrick Peterson was brought back, and really the only other cornerback they have on their roster worth anything is Cameron Dansler, and he's not worth much. They need a cornerback in the worst way. On top of that, their defensive back coach, Durante Jones, is a former DB coach and defensive coordinator at LSU where he coached Derek Stingley. I think if for whatever reason on draft day Stingley falls to the Vikings, they're going to turn this card in very, very quickly. There is a situation in Minnesota where you could make the argument they need a quarterback. Kirk Cousins has been good statistically, but when it comes to getting them over the hump and winning important games, he really has not been able to do that save for one big playoff win in New Orleans. But he signed a contract extension a couple weeks ago, Extending him through 2023, which doesn't have to be a reason that they don't take a quarterback, it does include a no-trade clause. So I think that at least halts the quarterback discussion. Let's talk about their head coach, Kevin O'Connell. Where does he come from? He comes from the Rams. The Rams just won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. So you have to believe Kevin O'Connell saw what a difference a quarterback who can make every throw on the field and hit every blade of grass with Stafford versus trying to run that offense with Jared Goff. That's my way of saying, I think if the Vikings take a quarterback in the first round, there's only one quarterback they would consider. It would be Malik Willis. They're not going to take a Kenny Pickett. They're not going to take a Matt Corral. They're not going to take somebody who has a has a high floor, but a low ceiling, because Kevin O'Connell saw firsthand, when you have a low ceiling, there's a limit to how much you can run your offense. So I think the only quarterback that would tempt them here is Malik Willis. And he's gone. So, another need talked about is tight end. Nobody worth that here. They could use an edge. uh, Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter are very solid starters, but both have injury concerns. But I think this is a pretty easy pick for the Vikings. When you look at their defensive backs, they lost Xavier Woods, who was a starter last year. And right now, penciled in to start opposite Harrison Smith is Cam Bynum, who was a fourth round pick last year. I don't know much about Cam Bynum, but I do know the Vikings have struck gold taking Notre Dame safeties in the draft in the first round before, and I think they go back to that well. And with the 12th pick, the Minnesota Vikings are going to take Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame.
1: Home run. That's how I would describe that pick. I don't think I could think of a marriage any better as... I don't know how Vikings fans feel about it. I don't know how everyone else feels about it. I think the way you just wrapped that up, going back to the well, I mean, it worked really fucking good last time. (laughs) And this is, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, I'm going to look at it real quick and I don't want to spend too much time Yeah, If you look at just, and it's just NFL.com prospect rankings and their their next-gen stats, he's the only player above Aiden Hutchinson with the grade. There's a reason for that, I mean, and the best part is he had a subpar pro day in combine, so honestly that probably got knocked. I mean he is day one comes in gonna start for your team, he's probably gonna he he's gonna he could even potentially be a vocal leader in that you know locker room sooner rather than later. He's a legitimate player, he can play all schemes he is a very very talented safety i think um I saw somewhere, it might've also been on NFL.com. I saw somewhere, I hate NFL comps where they gave him a comp though of Cam Chancellor. And obviously everyone thinks of wham, bam, cam. He's not quite wham, bam, but he's still, when you think of Cam Chancellor, you think of that versatility and just being able to be all over the place on the defense. And that is what Kyle Hamilton is. He can play on the line just as much as he can play in the, you know, Defensive backfield. He can be everywhere and make an impact wherever he is. So, just, you know, wrap it up here. He is a home run pick for the Vikings there. Great pick. Great description. Everything you did. Perfect.
0: The Vikings are done with Kyle Hamilton. And now we're on to pick 13 where the Houston Texans are back on the clock. If you remember back to pick three, they took Kayvon Thibodeau, edge rusher. And now, Luka, you're back on the clock at pick 13 with the Texans.
1: And we're back here needing everything. I wrote in there <laughs> two words under needs. It is still everything. Now we did get you know, potentially a franchise edge at three. Everything's feeling, you know, hunky dory there. We're not, we're not complaining and whatnot. And there's definitely a case. There are still tackles on the board that I can legitimately take at this pick. And I think it would make total sense. Now you can be like, wow, we really got a guy potentially here at 13 that I mean, some have considered even they're in the top five, and we could take them here at 13. That's not what the Texans do. I'm just going to not even try to toy that idea here. They're not going to do that here. No, 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 no. There is someone exciting here that I think they will take. There is someone that since they acquired this pick from the Cleveland Browns would make so much sense. You just traded away your franchise quarterback. Why not bring some excitement back? Because you just need to make the fans happy. And I mean, Davis Mills can't be just thrown to Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, Chris Moore, and Philip Dorsett. Those are the top four wide receivers on that team. That is terrifying and not in a good way. So without further ado, the 13th pick in this year's NFL draft by the Houston Texans will be wide receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio State University.
0: It's a strong pick. I was thinking maybe you'd go Jamison Williams the way you were talking him up, but I think Garrett Wilson is. Even though we've expressed our concerns about him, I think he's thought of very highly by teams, and there's got to be a reason why. Um, Strong pick by the Texans when really when you look at their wide receiver group, it's really just Brandon Cooks and nobody else. And one thing I like about for the Texans kicking that quarterback need down the road is they still have residual picks left over from trading Deshaun Watson. They are going to have every chance to get a quarterback. We don't expect them to win a lot of games this year. I think writing it out with Davis Mills, just seeing if you struck gold with him makes sense. He had some really high moments last year. And now if you decide to move on from Davis Mills next year and draft a quarterback, well, now you have Garrett Wilson to throw the ball to, along with Kayvon Thibodeau, who they took it at three overall. So strong draft so far for the Texans. And I think he did a really good job.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jamison Williams definitely came to mind also. Cause I mean, you, how, what easier sell is it to be just like, I mean, this year doesn't matter anyway. So we're going to take a guy who's going to probably be out for a chunk of it. And then all of a sudden he can come out and bring out some excitement at the end. And you possibly just got the best receiver in the draft. I think the interesting thing that made me pick Garrett Wilson here though. And because as you mentioned, maybe you and I are not as high on them. I saw somewhere and I want to say it was Daniel Jeremiah where he put in quotation marks, that he hears that he could be Stefan Diggs-like. Now, us being Bills fans, that raises some ears. Stefan Diggs, whoa. I don't personally see that, but I can see why people see that. And that's enough for me to think the Texans would love to bring him in at 13. So now, with that pick done and dusted, the 14th pick and the Baltimore Ravens are now on the clock.
0: All right, so with the Ravens on the clock, the Ravens have several needs here. Last year in the draft, they took Odathe Owe, who going up into the draft was Jason Owe, and then changed his name after he was drafted. He had mixed results his rookie year. Um, It looked like the the Ravens were going to bring back Zedarius Smith, but then he backed out on them and went to Minnesota. They only had 34 sacks last year. When you look at the fact that they have Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow in their division, you could really make the argument for a defensive end here for the Baltimore Ravens. Would they roll a dice on, the, on like a David Ajabo? I don't think so. He may not help them much this year, and this is a team that's ready to win right now. Another sneaky need for the Ravens is cornerback, and it's weird because you think about their two starters, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, and you're thinking, why would they need a cornerback? But both of those guys are coming back off of injury. Marcus Peters is getting a little bit older. And you just want to keep that cupboard full with with cover guys, especially in the division we talked about with Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson. And you figure Pittsburgh's eventually going to figure out the quarterback situation, even if it's not going to be Mitch Trubisky. Another need that stands out for Baltimore is offensive tackle. Now, they have Ronnie Stanley coming off of an injury. They did sign Morgan Moses, who could take some of the desperation away taking an offensive tackle. He's not any kind of a great player, but he's maybe a baseline adequate starter. But what I wrote in my notes about the Ravens is they historically let the draft fall to them and just take the best player available. They don't reach for need. They're just going to take whatever player falls to them that they had rated really highly. And in my opinion, there's a player here where the Ravens are picking who could have gone in the top six, seven, and nobody would have thought anything about it he does check off a need that they need. Maybe not their top need, but certainly a need. And you can never have too many good players at this position. So the Baltimore Ravens are going to select offensive tackle Charles Cross.
1: Perfect pick. Perfect pick. Yeah, I, I I noticed that about the Ravens over the past few years myself. I think that's the point that I think you, you made well and perfect is they don't reach they really don't and they don't go based on need at all they really just take whatever's best you know whatever's highest on their big board now obviously if they're you know stacked at a position and that's the best guy there they might not take him but still the guy who's probably right underneath that was the guy who they ended up taking and it's still far from a reach i think for them to get him at this position at 14 you could even potentially you know Once the first round's over, call it the steal of the draft. As you said, he is viewed by some to be a top five, six pick in this year's draft and to be there still almost 10 picks later. Wow. What a steal. So well said, well spoken. I think, you know, that would stink. The Ravens would get pretty good with that.
0: Yeah, they they draft historically well and. Like you said, I think he would have, I think he could have gone five or six. I know we know a Giants fan in Costa who has been eyeing him, assuming that the other OTs don't fall to the Giants. So this is just to me a classic Ravens pick. It wasn't really one I had to overthink. I just wanted to go through their needs there in case we have any Ravens fans listening, some other ways they could go in the scenario that a Charles Cross or another offensive tackle they like doesn't fall to them. But to me, if the board falls this way, it'd be a pretty easy pick. So now, for the first time in two picks coming up here soon, the Philadelphia Eagles are on the clock and with that we're going to go back to Luca.
1: Yeah, and this is uh this was a fun pick because the Eagles whereas the Ravens, I should say, just take the best available, you know. They're always solid in the draft. I almost wonder if their fans just don't even watch because they just expect a good pick and it's just going to keep the train rolling with the Ravens. The Eagles Do things a little bit differently, especially of recent. And I mean, I'm not even gonna do a long, you know, monologue here. I'm not gonna go crazy. They have Devonta Smith. Outside of him, you have Jalen Rager, who is already viewed as a first round bust. Quez Watkins, Zach Pascal, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, former quarterback, now wide receiver in the NFL. What are we doing? What are we doing? We can't possibly, we would never take a wide receiver in the first round for a third consecutive year, would we? You bet your ass we will. So with the 15th overall pick in this year's draft, the Philadelphia Eagles are selecting wide receiver Chris Olave out of Ohio State.
0: Wow. So the Eagles do take Chris Olave. Now I have the Eagles pick coming up next because um, they're an even team. So one of the notes I wrote was they were in on Calvin Ridley. They were in on Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, obviously, before he got suspended, they were in on Allen Robinson. They were in on Robert Woods. They finally signed Zach Pascal. So we know because of the misses on J.J. or Segal Whiteside when they could have taken DK Metcalf and Jalen Rager when they could have taken Justin Jefferson um, this is what has put them in this position because those two guys give them nothing. I think one of the easier things to say in this draft is the Philadelphia Eagles need to come out of the first round with a wide receiver. Unfortunately, they've taken wide receivers in the last two years, but that's what happens when you miss on a Jalen Rager. So I think this pick makes a lot of sense. I don't know if Olave would have been my pick here, but in classic Eagles fashion, they take J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf. They take Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. So it makes sense to me that they would take Chris Olave, overtaking Jamison Williams. So everything about that lines up. I love the way you set that up, and um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I think that was a, a really strong pick.
1: I'm glad you brought up the point of them taking Olave over. Jameson, because that's I was like, oh man, it would be a great pick at fifteen to take Jameson. You let him rest. You bring Jameson back with Devonta. I mean, that would be holy crap. That would be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. as if you're an Eagles fan. No, 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 no. We're gonna take Alave. Alave could work out to be a very good player. You and I have t- expressed our concerns with him, in in you know Garrett Wilson for that matter as well. And I definitely think they're gonna want a guy who can come in and make an impact instantly. This is a playoff team. They were in the playoffs as quick as it may have been last year. So, you know, they're going to want someone to make an impact. But that's enough about the Eagles. Let's move on here. So now, with the 16th pick, the New Orleans Saints are on the clock.
0: The Saints are an interesting team because with the Eagles that we just mentioned, they made a trade about a week ago to get a second first-round pick in this draft and actually traded out of the first round next year with the Eagles. Which was kind of weird because for most outside observers, it sure seems like the 2023 draft is stronger than 2022. And from the outside looking in, when a team loads up on ammunition in a draft, you're thinking, okay, they're loading up to get a quarterback, but this is just such a weird draft to do that. I'm not ruling out that the Saints could trade up and get a Malik Willis. In fact, I think they're the most likely team to trade up for a Malik Willis particularly when you look at some of the teams that he could go to in the top of the draft, Carolina, Atlanta, if they love him, not only do they want to get him, but they also want to not face him twice a year. That all lines up for me. We're not doing trades in this mock. So I was reading a bunch of Saint stuff this week because I'm just fascinated about what direction they're going to go. And what's interesting is while everything in my brain says they're chasing QB, The beat writers who follow the team are not convinced they're going after quarterback. Currently on their depth chart is Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. Taysom Hill, I guess, although it seems like they're finally full-time transitioning him to tight end. But Winston and Dalton are there, and they seem to be content with Dennis Allen as the new head coach of trying Jameis Winston out for a year. So what other needs do they have? They have a glaring need at left tackle. Teron Armstead left for Miami. James Hurst played really well for them last year in spot duty when he had to take um, take a starting role for various injured positions along the line. He could be a tackle or a guard. They probably feel a little better about him being a guard, but maybe he solves their left tackle situation. I think they could be in the market here for a tackle if somebody slips. I'm not loving the way the tackle board looks right here with them having a pick here up in a couple picks. I think they can let tackle go and roll the dice that somebody like a Trevor Penning falls to them in a few picks. They need a cornerback. Right now, they have Marshawn Lattimore and not much else. But really, what they need is they need a playmaker on offense. They have Alvin Kamara. They have Michael Thomas, kind of. And outside of that, they really have nothing on their wide receiver depth chart. Now, I don't love this fit necessarily for this year for New Orleans, if they are truly trying to compete, because I don't know when this guy is going to be ready to help them. But the value at this point is just way too good to pass up. If he wasn't hurt, he would have been a top 10 pick. In my opinion, would have been the first wide receiver off the board. And when I read what the saints need, every description said they need a wide receiver who can take the top off of a defense. Well, there's no wide receiver in this draft who takes the top off of the defense better than this guy, and that's why the New Orleans Saints are going to select Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams.
1: Mm. That's a great pick by the Saints. I will say, as this is the reverse of the Eagles for you, this is obviously one I had to make my 19th pick based off of, and that definitely throws me for a loop. It definitely throws me for a loop. I, I find it. I think your description is more of a find, throws me for a loop than everything else, because it puts our mindsets in very interesting places. Um, but I agree, wide receiver is definitely something that they would like to come out of this draft with. You know, Michael Thomas has played his last nap with New Orleans. He's never coming back. So now your your top receiver. I mean, it, it's probably looked at as you know Marquez Call- Callaway when it comes to production. But your top receiver on the depth is UCF legend Traquan Smith, and that's not pretty. So I think Jameson Williams would be electric as soon as he's healthy for this team. And I think, you know, regardless what they do at the quarterback position, wink, wink, um, it would be a great pick for that quarterback. I think it'd be a great step in the right direction for this new era now that we find ourselves with in the Saints. And I think you did a great job making that pick.
0: Who doesn't love a Jamison to Jamison stack? So the Saints go with Jamison Williams to catch passes from Jameis Winston. I guess I messed up that stack a little bit, but Jamis to Jamison stack. Now with the 17th pick, if you've been listening to our podcast, there is a pick here that the Chargers have been making in several mock drafts that scares the bejeezes out of my partner here, Luca. And now he has the fate of the Los Angeles Chargers in his hands. What will he do? Let's find out. Take it away, Luca.
1: So, real quick, to have a little bit of fun with this on my needs list, might be a little less practical, but uh, I listed to start a rabbit's foot, clutch gene serum, and an anti choke vaccine. But all seriousness, offensive tackle, interior defensive line, and corner. And that middle one there, interior defensive line, I think is what you were hinting at. And there is a lovely specimen. Specimen woo, sitting there at 17 that really wowed some people at the combine. And of course, I'm talking about defensive tackle Jordan Davis. And the pick would make total sense. It, I mean, they have loaded up on talent everywhere this offseason already by, tr- you know, trading for Khalil Mack, signing JC Jackson, that defense, which was already pretty good. You have Bosa and everyone else around that. Um, i i it's scary it it's honestly a scary, scary defense and putting a guy like Jordan Davis, who is all of you know what is he six foot six three hundred fifty pounds, ran a four seven forty has great jump at the snap I mean everything about him is terrifying, terrifying, so it would make all the sense in the world, but that is not where I am going and there's another guy who could also be considered a freak athlete in his own way, sitting there on the board, who stands at a six foot seven, athletic 325 pounds, that I think the Chargers, in all reality, could really use to finish off the bookend. And some would also see as another situation with an offensive tackle just falling into their lap of the draft, because this is someone that could definitely maybe be picked a few picks prior. And it wouldn't shock anyone. But with the 17th pick in this NFL draft, the Los Angeles Chargers will be selecting offensive tackle Trevor Penning out of University of Northern Iowa.
0: I think what makes a lot of sense about that pick is depending on how you have these guys ranked, that might be the last tackle you have with a first round grade. So it's kind of now or never for the Chargers. And they don't necessarily need a tackle after taking one last year. But like you said, your team, your meal ticket is your quarterback in your passing game. Why not build a wall around him with pinning at right tackle, Slater at left tackle? It's hard to poke holes in that argument. I actually think the Jordan Davis pick is just a little bit overblown. For a guy like I I kind of like the Chargers. I wouldn't say I root for them because I recognize they're very much in the Bills' way and the Bills take priority in everything. But I like what the Chargers do. And I don't think that pick makes sense. A a nose tackle, a two-down run-stuffing nose tackle. I just don't think that's how you're going to win in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and even Derek Carr. So I love this pick to bolster your offensive line. Keep Herbert upright. Chargers fans can tell you. How when Rivers was in his last few years there, they couldn't block anybody. And now with pinning, if he develops in what we think he could be, Spencer Brown's teammate from college, by the way, um, they have bookends that are going to be there and be there cheap for the next four or five years. And when you look at what Herbert's going to be on contract wise, that's what would allow the Chargers with two cheap tackles and a cheap quarterback to make a move for a Khalil Mack like they did this offseason. I love that pick. I I think it's very smart. I don't think the Jordan Davis pick would be very smart. It wouldn't make me fear them like I think it would make you. And I think this Penning pick is a home run for the, for the Chargers if that's who they value as far as offensive tackle goes. I'd much rather go offensive tackle than nose tackle. So good pick by you.
1: Yeah, and, and just real quick for the Bills fans out there, I just want to point out just how good Trevor Penning can be. You mentioned how he was teammates with Spencer Brown. Between the two, and they're both freak athletics, you know, both huge and athletic, but still heavy, Trevor Penning is viewed as the clear and away, better player between the two. By almost all things I read about, he is viewed as the better tackle and offensive line prospect and going forward than Spencer Brown. And Spencer Brown has been revolutionary, it seems like, at right tackle for the bills. So, with all of that in mind, if he ends up being the right tackle for the chargers, Wow. They have a very good pair of bookends on that offensive line to keep Herbert up. And that can be way more scary than a big athletic freak at defensive tackle. But enough about the Chargers. We're going to find ourselves back with the Philadelphia Eagles at 18. So with all of that, the Eagles are now on the clock.
0: All right, so the Philadelphia Eagles are back on the clock. And just to recap what Luca did, he took Chris Olave with the 15th pick, and that was my top need for the Eagles. And knowing that I was going to have their second pick, I was prepared to take a wide receiver because of that need. So we don't need to do that. We can scratch that off the list, and now the Eagles can wait to take another first-round wide receiver next year. So I think the next pick that a lot of people think of when they think of the Eagles is cornerback. And when you look at what they have at cornerback, They have Darius Slay, who's 31 years old. And after that, it's really just Avante Maddox. But reading up on the Eagles this week, they have added a lot of young bodies to that room, and it may may not be household names. Zach McPherson, they took him round four last year. When they traded Zach Ertz to the Cardinals, they got back Tay Gowan in that trade. All this is a way of saying, similar to how I think the Bills have viewed their cornerback room behind Trey White, I get the sense the Eagles are higher on their cornerbacks than the outside world is where we're just slating that as their top pick. So wide receiver scratched off. I'm not convinced the Eagles are going to feel the need to take a cornerback here unless a Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley fell to them. What I think the Eagles are going to do is they're going to look at the middle of their defense. They brought in Kazir White from the Chargers. TJ Edwards is a IDP machine in fantasy football, but he lacks the athleticism to really be an impact linebacker. A guy who doesn't lack that athleticism is Devin Lloyd. And that's going to be the pick for the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Awesome pick. Although I don't like how you didn't do the official announcement, but we'll look past that. I think it's a great pick. I, I, I think how you said that is very well done. I actually... When I was doing my research on the Eagles, I also felt the same thing about the corners, which blew my mind. I mean, they do have one good corner, and, you know, one very good corner, I will say. It is at his best. He is very good out there. But it still blows my mind that they're, you know, high on all their defensive backs and the corner specifically. But with that kept in mind, I do think. Devin Lloyd would be a great piece to plug in day one for the Eagles. I think that pick was very well thought out and very well spoken in your description of why they would do that such a thing. And honestly, that one might be one I'm more confident in actually happening than anyone else believes. Even with all the other picks we've made beforehand, Devin Lloyd to the Eagles with their second first round pick makes a lot of sense to me. And I think you did a great job with that.
0: So the sense I'm getting from my draft research is while we thought there was a lot of first round cornerback prospects, and I think there are going to be a handful of cornerback prospects that go in the first round, the deeper we get into this draft class, I really see this as Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. And then I think about the next five or six guys are a lot more interchangeable than we initially thought. And that's why another reason why I think the Eagles stay away from cornerback here is because they think they can probably get somebody similar to whatever they could have drafted here at corner in round two if they do decide to go that way. Another need for the Eagles obviously is defensive end. But right now I feel like they added Hassan Reddick to be that edge rusher. Say what you want to about him. He's been kind of hit or miss in his career, but they brought back Derek Barnett, who's been very disappointing. I just really feel like they have had such a problem at linebacker for two or three years now. And Devin Lloyd is just the prototype of what you want your linebacker to be in NFL football in 2022. And that's the reason why I thought that pick was a no-brainer because to me, while you could get a similar cornerback in round two, I think Devin Lloyd is kind of a unicorn linebacker in this draft where maybe there's only one other linebacker that's similar to his level before the drop-off happens. And that's why I picked that pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Eagles second pick is Devin Lloyd. Another team that has a second pick in the first round is the New Orleans Saints. They are on the clock at pick 19 and we're going to go back to Luca. Yeah. And
1: Obviously, this is, as you mentioned, the second one where it's also the second one where, you know, both of us had one of their picks, one of their two. And I'll just say real quick, I had their needs written down as offensive tackle, especially with Taryn Armstead now leaving for the Dolphins wide receiver, which we have now already addressed with Jameson Williams and a third position. And I'm just going to leave that a little ominous here for a second. And I'm going to have a little more fun with this. I know we said we were going to be quick now, but I'm going to have more fun with this because it'll make sense. So, offensive tackle, there's definitely some fun guys here. there's There's an interesting one. There's a guy that's close to my heart, one that back in January, when I was just having fun exploring prospects before we even started recording this podcast months before we started recording this podcast. I still did my same old evaluating prospects because I am a degenerate with college football and want to see how they're going to work out in the NFL. And a Bernard Raymond just popped. and then the story about him going from wide receiver slash tight end to offensive line. And having two years at offensive line and being being very good and being a tackle for Central Michigan was crazy to me. And then he looked at his measurables, very good measurables, very good on his feet, very smart player as well, you know, picking up power rushes, bull rush, you know, interior plays generally his strength more than the outside. That is where his weakness is. And because of that, being the outside is his weakness, I don't see him being a guy that ultimately the the Saints want to take here because he's not going to essentially take over for Taron Armstead with that kind of weakness. There's a couple other guys you could maybe reach for, but again, they're very interior focused guys. And then maybe you could reach for someone such as a Tyler Smith out of Tulsa, very good, you know, prospect. He's probably viewed more as a day to you, Day two guy, I know that's where I kind of have him pegged up. So I think the Saints would be smart enough to realize they don't have to take him here, and maybe take a chance in the you know day two. Go to bed, wake up when it's Friday, and see if you can trade up if you need to to get him. So with all of that in mind, this is where it's leading me to the third position of need I had written down from what I've read a little bit and everything was quarterback, because unlike you, Josh, I don't believe they're entirely sold on Winston. I think they want a quarterback and they're done with the experiment that is Taysom Hill, but I don't still get the full feel that Winston is viewed as the franchise guy. And there's someone that played not too far away that is also the number two prospect on my quarterback big board. And I think he has a lot of fun tools. I think he has a lot about him that's exciting. And then there's also him as a person, the classic competitor, chip on his shoulder, plays his ass off, and is honestly sometimes a little more confident. His attitude almost screams Baker Mayfield in a way, but he actually has a little bit more tools than a Baker Mayfield. A little bit. He's basically the same thing, but he might, maybe he turns out to be better. Who knows? And of course, I would have to be talking about a prospect that's out of Ole Miss. So without further ado, in this mock draft, the 19th pick from the New Orleans Saints in this draft will be quarterback Matt Coral out of Ole Miss.
0: He's a very interesting prospect. I know there's some sites that have him listed as quarterback one, and I think this is going to be kind of a Baskin Robbins thing when it comes to quarterback. Do you want the safe guy in Kenny Pickett? Do you want the toolsy guy in Malik Willis? I think there's a lot of guys that like Matt Corral. Um, interesting, I, I didn't get the vibe from reading stuff on the Saints that they were going to be in on quarterback this year. It's not like I think that they just think that Jameis Winston's their guy for the next 10 years. I just think that they want to make one more run with the roster they have before they kind of reload With the quarterback next year. But this makes a lot of sense if they do decide to go quarterback. What would be interesting in this situation is, would they take a Jamison Williams if they do love a Matt Corral and potentially let the quarterback they love fall? Potentially, because there may be not a threat that the Chargers or the Eagles take a quarterback. But Pittsburgh is looming behind them. Pittsburgh could trade up for a quarterback. I like the pick a lot. Um, It's interesting. I think from where I was sitting, I thought maybe New Orleans could go left tackle, but there's really not anybody left. That's the problem. Trevor Penning was kind of the last one. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I think if if you like him, you take them. And you're taking him at nineteen. So if he gets on the field year one and it's bad, you can Josh Rosenham and take another quarterback next year. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. So the Saints do get into the quarterback mix here. And I, I think you um I think you made a good case for him.
1: Yeah, I think the two factors in this pick, and I, I, I'm i very glad you went with Jamison Williams. I will just now say I'm very glad you did because the two points I made were, or thought about was, yes, Trevor Penning is off the board. You no longer have a legitimate tackle prospect sitting there because if Trevor Penning were to fall at 19, I do believe they would take him over a Matt Corral. I do believe that would happen. I just want to stipulate that. But with him off the board, like I mentioned, Bernard Raymond would be there, but he's not really viewed as a left tackle or just pure tackle prospect. That's not what he will be. That's not that there's, you know, of course, other offensive line, but they're again, not tackle prospects. The next maybe tackle prospect you will definitely find in day two. And then two, I don't think you make the trade that you did when it comes to trading picks with the Eagles to not take a quarterback. I don't think that world exists. I think NFL executives are too smart to understand what that means and what that, what those picks will do. And if they truly are targeting a quarterback next year, they did a really weird thing to do it. And if they're trying to run it back with James Winston and do everything to to me, it'd be so silly not to take a quarterback here only because you're not going to have anything of value next season to maybe take a quarterback at that point. I just I don't see a world where that can happen. I don't see a world where you can't take a quarterback this year, run it back and expect to maybe get a quarterback next year because it's not going to happen. It's just it's not. So enough about the Saints. They took their two picks. I'm going to wrap that up real quick and we're going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 20th pick is now on the clock.
0: So I think the Steelers could have been in on quarterback. I think Matt Corral maybe was the last idea there. There maybe is some momentum for Desmond Ritter, but at this point in time, unless there's just a push inside that building to add a first round quarterback to the mix because they don't believe in Trubisky and Rudolph, I think they're going to pivot away from quarterback in this scenario and maybe try to find one they like in the second or third round and see if they strike gold. Look, unfortunately, the Dwayne Haskins situation, you know, it you hate to even talk about it from a football standpoint, but it, it does unfortunately create um, a, a roster need there. He was a first round pedigree pick that they probably had hope could have developed into something there. And, um, you know, unfortunately the tragic situation that happened a week ago with him getting hit on the side of the road, um, ended his life and, uh, and a way less important situation created a need at quarterback for the Steelers. That I don't think they're going to address here with the way the quarterbacks have come off the board they do need a wide receiver. They've lost James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster to free agency. Right now, when you look at their wide receiver group, they have Chase Claypool, who is all the talent in the world, but kind of a head case. And they also have Deontay Johnson, who, again, all the talent in the world, but has case of the drop sees. He's going to be a free agent at the end of next year. So you have Anthony Miller behind him. What, what can you count on from him? They have to add numbers there. But historically, when it comes to the Steelers, they just don't spend first round picks on wide receivers. I believe the last first round that pick they spent on the wide receiver was Santonio Holmes. It's been Juju on day two, Chase Claypool in day two, Deontay Johnson, I think may have been day two, late day two, early day three. Antonio Brown was a sixth round pick. They know how to identify receivers later in this draft. And I do think for the most part, the blue chippers in this draft are off the board. So if you want to get a receiver at this point, you probably could wait to the second round. Another need the Steelers have had that they probably should have addressed last year, when they instead took Najee Harris, is offensive line. Their offensive line was very bad in 2021. Most people thought that the Najee Harris pick was a wasted one because he'd be running behind a bad offensive line, and he averaged less than four yards per carry. And he's an excellent player, but he, a running back cannot fix a bad offensive line. What the Steelers did this offseason, though, is they went out and they signed Mason Cole and James Daniel. Not necessarily the greatest players in the world, but enough to upgrade the position to where they don't have to add an offensive lineman here in the first round. What I think the Steelers are going to do is I think they're disappointed that an edge didn't fall that they like. I think they could take a safety because right now it's Minka Fitzpatrick and Miles Killebrew, who's awful. But I think the Steelers are still kind of sniffing around Honey Badger and wouldn't be surprised if they bring him in. I think the Steelers are going to kind of take a Ravens approach here and just go with what they view as the best player available, and they're going to go with a Georgia defensive tackle, but maybe not the one you're thinking. They're going to go with Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia, who's much more of a pass rusher than Jordan Davis, and I think he is a perfect Steelers personality. He's going to improve their pass rush, and I just realized that we've been doing this for so long that I broke the, the repetition of what we're doing, so... The Pittsburgh Steelers select Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia.
1: That would be the second or third time you've broken what we've been doing, but it's okay. (laughs) I'm not going to hold anything against you. Who's counting? Right. I think it's a great pick. The thing is, I feel like this may have been written up, and and I want to get your opinion real quick on this. Even with Jordan Davis on the board, they are still taking Wyatt. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and I'll just... Lead into that with, I agree. I think Jordan Davis, as shocking and awesome as his combine was, and everything about him when it comes to just his size and athleticism and all that fun stuff that was amazing to watch when the combine results came in, there's definitely a fear that he's still limited based on those exact measurables that is the size of who he is. So, Devontae Wyatt is actually. On my January notes of prospects, an individual that I originally had higher than him, and it was just because he fit the NFL in my mind better, and he is a perfect, almost perfect. I'm not going to call him perfect because you don't know, but he is almost a perfect Pittsburgh Steeler. He really does. He fits everything about what they've always been. And as you said, I mean, if wide receivers in a need, they haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round since Antonio Holmes, who, I mean, I guess for them was a good pick in the end, but um, we're not going to talk about that. And He made a big player too. Uh, yeah. So they're not going to buck the trend. They always take defensive guys. If there's one thing I feel like you can almost bet on if they had betting on for it, it'd probably be a horrible line, but I'd still bet it. It's going to be a defensive player that the Steelers take. And I think everything you did, painting that picture, what you said, real quick, nice and sweet, it was well, well spoken. I think that pick makes a lot of sense. It would not be surprising. It's very similar, ironically enough, to like the Ravens. Like the pick happens, and you're like, "Yep, makes total sense." I don't think Steelers fans even care about the draft. I mean, I know they do because I know some of that. You know, some Steeler fans, of course. But I mean, it, it. I just, it's almost like they they don't mess up. They don't know how to mess up. Draft picks. I don't think that would be a mess up pick at all. It would probably just be another weapon in the machine that is the Pittsburgh Steeler
0: defense. And I like the
1: pick. I like it a lot.
0: So that's what I think they would do. One thing that I would be very intrigued by if I were running the team is Daxton Hill sitting there and just when you think about what the Bills can do with Poyer and Hyde and how they're both interchangeable and they're multiple. Daxton Hill and Minka Fitzpatrick back there at safety. You could play so many mind games with opposing quarterbacks because both of those guys can play free. They can come up in the box and make tackles. They can even play cornerback if you need them to. That could be a lot of fun. But I think the Steeler move there is to go with Devontae Wyatt. And the reason why I think he'd go over Jordan Davis is 2022, a guy that impacts the pass game is just more important to me than a guy that impacts the run game. Although I think Jordan Davis is probably going to be overdrafted similar to Terry Poe because. He has just so many intriguing traits and maybe on a similar type level of a Trevon Walker who went really high in this draft. Some team is going to get their hands on him and think we can teach him how to rush the passer and maybe they'll be right. But it was Devonte Wyatt, his teammate at Georgia that went to the Steelers at pick 20 and the crowd is now booing as the new England Patriots are on the clock at pick 21.
1: I, I don't know how to take the booing if I'm a you know Patriots uh, person. Oh, I, I probably flash my rings because that's how arrogant I am. No, um, so ouch. <laughs> the Patriots uh needs, you know, and and this is kind of uh what I did with the Chargers, had a little fun with this, and I'm just gonna start real quick. You know, they need to move away from Josh Allen's division or maybe get therapy. That possibly could help them. Love but it. uh all, all jokes aside, the order I had needs. Is an interesting one because it will eventually lead you into my pick. And I ranked them wide receiver, cornerback, and linebacker. And I think those are the three glaring needs when it comes to the Patriots. Now, this is a playoff team, as we know. And we are very happy that they were a playoff team because of what happened in the playoffs to them, thankfully. So with that in mind, their wide receiver core, as we have learned and has not gotten any better, is being led by Devonta Parker, and that is not a good thing. I don't think that improves anything for Mac Jones. I, I I think they would just keep running the same thing, and he would just be another warm body in that wide receiver room, and nothing would change. No, no explosive plays would come of it. Nothing. I th- I think it it moves the ticker literally zero. And now I come to corner because there is of course a glaring need at corner because J C Jackson left. And he went to the Chargers, ironically enough, because I made fun of both of them in these. And they are basically staring down the barrel right now of a Jalen Mills and now unretired Malcolm Butler as being their starting corners in a division with Josh Allen, in a division with Tyreek Hill. That is terrifying. Why in the world would you want to set yourself up that way? Horrible. You're not going to have fun. I mean, Bill Belichick is a defensive genius. We all know it. We have unfortunately lived in that world for way too long. But that can't be coached over. That can't be just, you know, can't be a nice comb over a bald. Because guess what? That's exactly what it would look like. It would look ugly. So I bring up wide receiver and corner. Is that the direction I'm going? No, 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 no. The interesting part in looking into the Patriots because I don't do it very often. The interesting part was their current linebacker situation. And it almost shocked me to learn that their current interior linebackers right now, if we were in week one, would be Mac Wilson and Jahwan Bentley. I have no idea who those two are.
0: Oof. Mac Wilson was a backup for the Browns for a while. Yeah. I know no. that because I had the Browns in a Madden franchise and he was on my team and he was terrible.
1: Yeah. Those are your starting interior linebackers. So when everyone thinks corners bad cause JC left and wide receiver, because there's nothing there, they can get around it. They developed JC Jackson. They got the best out of him. Who knows if JC Jackson, I'm sure he will be, but continues his greatness on the chargers. You don't know. What if that was a new England thing? These linebackers can definitely not be outcoached or overcoached or however you want to, you can't hide it. And they cut Van Noy, and Danta and Danta Hightower is a free agent still to this day to have that situation in place. Well, maybe this is Belichick and all his genius, if we want to call it that, sitting there knowing that there is potential for a guy who would almost plug in perfectly and be ready day one. And we saw in the national championship, just be a great leader of a linebacker out there and do everything he could for his defense. And just plug into that New England team and just operate that thing as the machine it is and keep the train rolling and work it as best they can. Ultimately, it's not going to work because we have Josh Allen in Buffalo. Thank God. But with all that said, New England's going to be happy, I guess, because with the 21st pick in this NFL draft, the New England Patriots, boo, are taking linebacker Nicobe Dean out of Georgia.
0: That pick makes a lot of sense for the, the reasons you laid out. I also agree with you that it feels like Belichick believes that he can just develop a cornerback. You know, he kind of did that with J.C. Jackson. And there hasn't, if you look at the way the Patriots play defense, they like those moving chess pieces. And I think Devin Lloyd really is that guy that can be good in the run. I'm sorry, Nakobe Dean is really that guy that can be good in the run game, but also. Such an athlete. He can cover tight ends. He can cover backs out of the backfield. And I just think that's an exciting pick for them. I question, though, and this doesn't have to be a knock against him, but when you look at Trayvon Walker and you look at Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Lewis Sign, I'm not convinced everybody on that defense is great. Like somebody's being carried by the talent around them. And there's a part of me that wonders if it's Dean, because there's the beast defensive lineman in front of him. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. I To me, it's just kind of like the year that USC had Clay Matthews and um, they had uh, Ray Maluga and they had one more really good um, uh, Brian Cushing all on their linebackers and they all went in the first or early second round. It's like, okay, chances are not all of you guys are beasts. Some of you were just kind of along for the ride with the other beast. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm expecting one of these Georgia guys to kind of be disappointing. But good pick by the Patriots. I I totally agree with you when it comes to defensive backs that I don't think Belichick's going to prioritize that. I do think, I mean, as far as cornerbacks go, I do think Belichick would be intrigued by Daxton Hill, but Belichick's also a wild card when it comes to the draft. I know a lot of people think he's going to take receiver, but he just doesn't take first round wide receivers. It's not his thing. So I think similar to Pittsburgh, they think they can find wide receivers later in the draft. And the last time they took a wide receiver in the first round, it blew up in their face. Uh,
1: don't say she, it. Sorry. <laughs> don't, don't hate on my guy. That's my <laughs> guy. Don't hate on. We won't talk about that, but um, yeah, I mean, real quick, it, it was just, yeah, they never take wide receivers in the first, even if they do, they need to let them free and go play for another team where he can actually be better. And then, uh, Yeah, I I don't see them taking a corner. A guy that I actually thought would really fit well, and I'll just bring this up real quick, is Trent Trent McDuffie. I I think he would be a great corner for the the Patriots. I I just want to say that now. I I, I think he would almost check a lot of boxes that Bill Belichick likes in a defensive back, and he would just be, I mean, almost like Asante Samuel-esque for them. I think he would be able to get that kind of level play out of him. I'm just going to throw that out there now, just in case, you know, but- I went with Kobe Dean only because the first choice I had for them was a Devin Lloyd. I, I really think that's what they're looking at. They're looking at one of those two guys and they're just, those are the guys they want to plug in as their inside linebacker, their mic, and just let it run the machine. And if Devin Lloyd's not on the board, they're going to be okay taking Kobe Dean. So that was my 21st pick for new England. So now the Devonte Adams pick, or also known as the 22nd overall pick in this draft, and the Green Bay Packers are on the clock.
0: Yeah, the Packers are in a spot here. I think everybody expects them to take a wide receiver. You lose Devontae Adams. You did sign Sammy Watkins to basically a veteran minimum deal. There's no premier weapon in the passing game on that team. Robert Tunyon might be the best receiver they have, and that is not a good thing. Um, but when you look at their edge situation, they lost Darius Smith. They still have... Preston Smith, but he's going to be 32 and Rashawn Gary had an emergence last year where he really dominated the playoff game against San Francisco, but the Packers love to rotate their edges. And in doing research today, I really got the vibe that the Packers would be very interested in adding an edge at pick. What are we at here pick 23 or I'm sorry, pick 22, 22. So I think that would be kind of surprising But I can't ignore the fact that I saw that at more than one place that beat writers said that edge is something that the Packers are really looking into. Another situation they have is offensive line. David Bakhtiari is back. He was out most of last year. Uh, Right now they have Yosh Nijman at their right tackle situation. And all we know about him is in the playoffs last year, the coaching staff picked Billy Turner over him to play in the playoffs. Turner ended up leaving for free agency. So now they're left with an injured left tackle. And then Yosh Nijman, a guy they gave up on in the playoffs, playing right tackle. So they could have a situation where they need an offensive tackle. But again, I don't think the tackle situation is great right now. They do have Elston Jenkins coming off of a season ending injury. He played at a high level last year. Maybe he can play tackle for them. Just don't know if he's going to be ready to start the season. So, all that said, I do think pass rusher is in the conversation. I think they could go for a guy like a Boye Mafe here, but you gotta keep Aaron Rodgers happy. You traded away Devontae Adams. You can't let this first round go by without giving him a weapon in the passing game. I don't necessarily love this player, but he gets a lot of shine as a guy that's gonna go in the first round, a moving chess piece kind of a weapon. So with the 22nd pick, the Green Bay Packers select wide receiver, Traylon Burks.
1: Yeah, and it would only be fitting if the Packers take a wide receiver or a weapon in general in the first round for Aaron Rodgers finally by trading his best weapon he's basically ever had. Um, I, They have to do it. It would, it would almost feed the pettiness that is the Packers front office. Just be like, yeah, we traded your best weapon you've ever had so we can draft you guys or draft you finally a first-round wide receiver. Aren't you happy? Yay. No, I, honestly, I, I, I'll put it this way. If at 22, Traylon Burks is sitting there for the Packers, I am a Green Bay Packer fan right now. I am ecstatic. I am pumped. That is not a guy I would al- almost expect to be there. I think he could easily be off the board by 20. We'll say, I'm not saying the Steelers would be the ones taking him. I'm just throwing out 20 there. Um, I think it would be a great pick for them. They, they have to do something. I mean, the funny part and the ironic part, you mentioned Sammy Watkins. He's going to be the second first round pick take, you know, that Aaron Rodgers could potentially throw a touchdown to the only other one he's ever done it to is Mercedes Lewis. I mean that the, the irony of all that. And obviously everyone knows Sammy Watkins was not drafted in the first round by the Packers. He was drafted by the Bills. You know, here we are. So it's a great pick. I think it would be funny that they take a wide receiver with the pick of which they traded their best weapon to do so. But um, overall, you got to be happy with the pick. You just can't be happy with how you acquired the pick necessarily. And that would be
0: okay. Yeah, see, Rogers, we finally added you a weapon. We just gave away the best weapon maybe in franchise history. But hey, who's counting? All right, Luca a team that you're very familiar with. The Arizona Cardinals are on the clock at pick 23. Now I'm going to take
1: way too much time on this. Go I just, ahead. this. This is, this is my soapbox. This is everything. And this is one that didn't take much for the research. I live in this world. Unfortunately, still in my one B, let me press a preface one B world of as an Arizona Cardinals fan but I still see the Twitter every daily. I still read all that nonsense about it. And I really didn't know where I wanted to go with this pick at first. I really, I mean, I almost wanted to just kind of do the thing that people expect, right? But that's not me. That's not that's not me. Let me really think, let me dive into this. Let me let me be the front office. Let me be Steve Kime. Let me be him for one moment and see what I can do to this team. And yes, the most noteworthy thing to happen this offseason that isn't Kyler Murray and all that garbage that's going on with him is Chandler Jones is gone. He went to the Raiders because he, as he said, and I quote, not for the money, but to win. It's a bold choice to choose the Raiders. And I'm just going to say that now if you want to win, but um, he left. So there's a glaring need at edge rush. And this is a very nice draft to have an edge rush problem in. Now all the blue chips are gone. We're sitting here at the 23rd pick. Of course, you're not expecting one of those blue chips to fall to this point, but you're still sitting here and you see, you know, a boy mafe. You see, um, trying to look at my notes real quick here. Cause I did this one off the cuff and only wrote one person because I knew he would be there. You could take value at David Ojibo. Like that would make a lot of sense, honestly, if you're, if you're the Cardinals taking an Ojibo, I mean, that is a great value. As long as he comes back full health, which you hope he does great value. And that fills the need of edge makes all the sense in the world. Another need that is clearly there: corner. I know they love Marco Wilson. I loved his flashes that he would provide. But he's not that he he, I don't think he'll ever truly develop as a number one. I think he could be a great number two compliment kind of corner. He's just not a number one. And of course, we're sitting here right now and you still have the likes of Andrew Booth Jr., Kyler Gordon, McDuffie, a bunch of talent at corner. But almost in a way, that's why you don't take it here. You have plenty of time to get someone as long as you like multiple guys and there's not someone you're just absolutely in love with. There's multiple guys out there that ultimately could fall to you in that day too. And on top of it all, the Cardinals have taken a defensive player with the past two drafts. Now in Zavin Collins last year and Isaiah Simmons the year before the word around is the Cardinals will not be taking a defensive player in this year's draft, no matter what. And I think that's important to say no matter what, because I've read that from multiple places And I will be stunned, not, okay, I will be a little shocked, not stunned, if they then take a defensive player. Because the individuals of which I have said, no matter what, they will not take a defensive player, I I trust those sources. I trust the people that have said those things because they have shown that they are a reliable source of information when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals. And they have clearly a pulse on the organization in the front office. So where am I going with this? Because if they're not going to take a defensive player, obviously that eliminates both the positions of glaring need that I just talked about. Well, there's one more need and I'm going to bring it back to a bills quote here and a wonderful wise legend known as Brandon Bean. He once said, you learn a lot from a team and what they need following the final loss of a season. And if you think about the Cardinal season and where their season horribly ended, it was with an embarrassing loss at a division rivals place of which they could do nothing offensively, nothing. And they had Kyler Murray first eight weeks. He is the MVP in the NFL. I, I'm pretty sure if you ask most people, if you took weeks one through eight and you asked them who is the MP, MVP of the league, it was Kyler Murray. Of course, he flamed out. And then there's a lot going on with him now that I'm just going to put this out there i would not be surprised if by week one he is not our starting quarterback but that's not here we are assuming he will be wow you have Devonte. oh man i almost said Devonte adams holy crap deandre hopkins because we were talking about packers my apologies everyone you have deandre hopkins my opinion the best overall wide receiver in the nfl if he could only just stay healthy for the love of christ please just stay healthy He is the best overall wide receiver. You have all the weapons around him. You have our guy out there, Rondell Moore, who unfortunately is not a Bill. He is a Cardinal, and he is a weapon out there in the desert. Everything out there. They are bringing back James Conner. I'm not as huge of a fan of that, but obviously his production is unquestioned from last year. They're trying to run it back. I get it. You have Zach Ertz who re-signed and stayed back. The weapons are in place. What is the one thing that allowed us not to be able to move the ball? or do anything effectively in that playoff game. Kyler Murray looked like a midget. Why? It wasn't because he's actually pretty small in NFL standards. It's because that offensive line was terrible. Absolutely atrocious. They had no idea what they were doing out there. Yes, the Rams have had an unbelievable defensive line, and they still basically have the entire defensive line. Just no Von Miller. Thank God he's in Western New York. They still have all those problems over there. But even that, we would play anyone, and I say we as the Cardinals. The Cardinals would play anyone, and their offensive line, especially at guard, wink, wink, had no clue what they were doing. They legitimately look like high schoolers out there in the NFL at times, but not all the time, of course. They are professionals. They are way better than I want to paint them out to be, but this is an emotional reaction that's coming out right now. But the only image that comes to my head is that Kyler Murray pick six in the playoffs. And if you watch that play and how it breaks down, Kyler Murray maybe has 0.4 seconds, maybe of any resemblance of a pocket. And if you really, really look into it, both guards don't even get both hands on the person they are intended to block. So where am I going with all of this? What am I doing? What, what, what I keep talking about offensive line and offensive guards? There is a guy sitting here now at 23 that I think, and I'm going to will this pick into happening. I'm just telling you this right now. I have predicted the Isaiah Simmons pick. I have predicted the Zayvon Collins pick. So without further ado, I am taking a shot out here. I easily could see them, by the way, somehow pulling the rug out from everyone and be like, yeah, we're taking Boye Mafe." But I am willing this pick because if they want to be the smart organization, they paint themselves to be and they want to be serious. And if they honestly want to show that they are committed to Kyler Murray, not that I think that they are. And that's why I say he's probably not going to be their starting quarterback come week one if they want to show that they're committed to him, they need to fix the one thing that is a glaring need for him to stay upright and not look like a midget or a tiny person. I got to stop saying that. I apologize to anyone if I've offended anyone, not look like a tiny person out there among men and draft an offensive guard that is sitting there ready for the taking. And that is with the 23rd pick, the Arizona Cardinals will be taking offensive guard Zion Johnson out of Boston college.
0: Pick makes a lot of sense. It, When you really look at that Cardinals game against the Rams, they were overmatched on offense, and a lot of it started with Aaron Donald and Von Miller. They couldn't block anybody. Zion Johnson, to me, is a guy that I think the Bills should consider at pick 25 if he's there because he's such a good athlete. He's so versatile. I think he could solve your backup tackle situation, which, you know, it is a situation whether you like it or not, and his athleticism just unlocks so much in your running game but he's not just an athlete. He's strong. He's powerful. He can do it all as an offensive lineman. I I think because he's a guard, he's available in the mid-20s, but his skill set, if you just took position value out of it, I think he's one of the 10 to 15 best players in this draft. And this is kind of like eating your vegetables for the Cardinals. Yes, drafting a wide receiver would be like having a piece of pizza. Drafting a pass rusher would be like having an ice cold beer, but if you really want to get better, you got to eat your vegetables. It's not fun. It's not sexy. You're not going to be able to go to bed at night daydreaming of the highlights that Zion Johnson's going to be able to put up his first year, but what you're going to be able to do is rest easy knowing that next time you have to go up against Aaron Donald, you have somebody out there that has a fighting chance to get the job done. So I like this pick a lot for you. Yeah. I think
1: the funny description I had, and I'm trying to tone down here. I'm trying to get back to the centered focus here. I think the description I liked about him Zion the most is he is a phone book booth guard. And I think that describes it perfectly. You know, just a wide base, just a stout individual at the guard position that will be able to handle his own on anyone. He might not be able to move around nearly as much as you would expect other guards to You know, you're not going to be pulling them in, a you know, crazy run schemes and stuff. The Cardinals don't do that anyways. Ultimately, they just need a guy who can handle all the interior pressure that they constantly deal with in the NFC West and as a whole, because that is the biggest issue for Kyler Murray is interior pressure. I mean, it's the biggest issue for all quarterbacks, of course. It's just when your quarterback is shorter than every other one in the league, that just becomes more of a problem and you need to be able to address it. And I honestly make this pick regardless of my take on quarterback when it comes to Kyler Murray. I just want to also preface that again. I don't think it'd be surprising if they take edge, especially with Chandler Jones walking out the door and the scar that that has put on the organization. But you, you, you put it, you got to eat your vegetables exactly as how you put it. You got to eat your vegetables. You need to bring in that guy who can at least hold their own at the guard position. And honestly, the tackles aren't the worst thing in the world with the Cardinals. And center, of course, with Rodney Hudson was very important for them. But that's only one guy in the middle. And your your guards on the edges of Hudson just, it was a joke. It was horrible. I mean, right now, they're looking at, and I'm trying to look at my notes real quick. They're looking at guard play currently i know pugue's still there but i want to say they signed will hernandez and it's like no thank you let's let's try to do something better here so with all of that said let's wrap up the cardinals because this is not cardinals chat this is bill's chat so we need to get moving here and now with the 24th pick the dallas cowboys are on the
0: clock so the cowboys are sitting here and they lost to cooper they did Re-up Michael Gallup to a big contract extension, but with his injury situation, he's likely to start the season on PUP. They added James Washington, but if Gallup does start the season on PUP, you're looking at a wide receiver situation with CeeDee Lamb, and then James Washington, and a bunch of guys that are just Jags. Not Jacksonville Jaguars, but just the guys. At pass rusher... They had Randy Gregory, and they thought they were signing him to a contract extension. And then at the 11th hour, he pulled out and went to Denver. They did sign Dante Fowler from Atlanta, but he's a downgrade from Randy Gregory. But they still do have Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. So I could see them taking a play at defensive end, pass rusher. But I think they're in a pretty good spot there with Parsons, Lawrence, and Fowler. I think they can get it done this year. There is a situation currently going on with one of their starting quarterbacks, Kelvin Joseph. As of a week ago, um, or a week ago, he was involved, tied to a situation where unfortunately a person was murdered, and it was an associate of his. As of the time we're recording this, Tuesday night, April 19th, there have been no charges brought to him, and I know he's interviewed with the Dallas-Fort Worth police, but there's It doesn't appear right now that anything is imminent as far as him being charged with anything, but it's a situation to monitor not only from the criminal side of things, which is awful, um, but obviously if it's a starting cornerback for the Cowboys, that's a player they would need to replace. But the position that I have targeted for the Cowboys here with all the needs at wide receiver, the one thing I keep coming back to is. I think the Cowboys need a certain type of wide receiver because they want CeeDee Lamb to play more slot receiver. So to me, that rules out someone like a Sky Moore who's sitting there, maybe is the best receiver on the board. They could take a Christian Watson, but is Christian Watson ready to come in right away and contribute? Or is he more of a, he's gonna, what's he going to be in two or three years? that could work for Dallas. I think Jerry Jones probably would like the idea of adding a Christian Watson. But when the Cowboys were in their heyday in recent years, at the end of Tony Romo's career and the beginning of Dak Prescott's career, it was because they had a wall of an offensive line in front of whoever their quarterback and whoever their running back was, and they would run the ball down your throat. And with efficient quarterback play, they would be tough to stop. They lost Connor Williams in free agency. That's not necessarily a big loss for them because last year they actually gave his job to McGovern, who took over midseason. And then due to penalty issues, he struggled and they've lost all hope in him. I think the Cowboys would have been very excited about Zion Johnson, who just went off the board to the Cardinals, but that's okay because there's another guard sitting there. And what the Cowboys have historically liked in their offensive linemen, is versatility. And what they're going to get with the guy that I'm going to give them is a guy that has history of playing left guard, right guard, left tackle, and right tackle. I think they would have preferred Zion Johnson because I just think he's just a notch above as an athlete. But with the 24th pick, the Dallas Cowboys bolster their offensive line by taking Kenyon Green, guard Texas A&M.
1: Yeah, the versatility part of that, I think, is essential to why I think Dallas, honestly, I do think Dallas may have may want Zion Johnson better and everything involved with that, but there's a part of me that thinks Kenyon Green. I was thinking about Kenyon Green with the Cardinals as well, and it just doesn't fit the Cardinals as much as what they need. That's why I went with Zion Johnson. Well, the same could be said for the Cowboys for me. I, I really think that Kenyon Green almost just fits them better. And I think the versatility part is exactly why. So yeah, it makes total sense in the world. I could see, you know, Jerry maybe uh maybe being a little infatuated with taking a wide receiver after losing one of his and, you know, going with a Jahan Donson and stuff like that and whatever, you know, just for the Purpose of drafting a wide receiver. Like I, I think you kind of touched on that point, but overall, great pick. I think the Cowboys would do well with that pick. I think everything would be great with that pick. And uh well said.
0: Well, Luca, it is time. We are at the 25th pick. We have made it to the Buffalo Bills 25th pick. And for this pick, just because it's odd, you don't think I'm going to let Luca make this pick by himself, do you? No. <laughs> we are now going to simulate a Bills war room where, using the results of this draft, Luca and I are going to have a discussion. We're going to talk about what we think the Bills should, shouldn't do, what they could, what they couldn't do, and all things in between. So we are sitting here, Luca, at pick 25. And. Just to go through it, three quarterbacks are off the board: Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral. All of the running backs are sitting there. Not one running back has gone. It's been a run on wide receivers. Five of them are off the board. Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Drake London, Traylon Burks, and Chris Olave. We have four offense, or we, sorry, we have six offensive linemen off the board. Evan Neal, Akeem Akwanu, Charles Cross, Trevor Penning. Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green. At Edge, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson, Trayvon Walker off the board. We have one defensive tackle, Devontae White, off the board. Two linebackers, Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. We only have two cornerbacks off the board, Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. And we have one safety off the board and Kyle Hamilton. So Luca, looking at how the board looks right now. Wide receivers kind of thinned out. If you are a running back in round one person, you have every single running back available to you in this draft. If you were hoping for a linebacker to maybe replace Tremaine Edmonds or Matt Milano for next year, right now the best guy left might be Quay Walker. Jordan Davis, the freak show athlete from Georgia, sitting there, he is a draft crush of many Bills fans, not me, but many Bills fans. Daxton Hill, a guy we talked about a lot on this podcast, is sitting there at safety as safety cornerback flexibility. And then Luca at cornerback. Every cornerback in the draft is available besides Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. I'm going to send it to you. Is there any name that just stands out above the rest to you as we look at what's left for the Bills?
1: So there's two names. And I'm going to say these two names because one is in consideration for this pick. And one flirts with a great idea I have when it comes to day two, okay? And I think both are important in a sense of maybe this is why you would do exactly what you might do in this round. So first, the name that jumps out immediately is, of course, of the cornerback position. And that is Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. He is easily someone that could be seen gone to the, Feag- uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. I almost said Feagles. That's an interesting word. Um, he could be gone there. Some view that as a need. But as we've discussed, we don't believe that the Eagles view the cornerback position a need as much as others around them do. So he hasn't fallen to them. The Patriots, for instance, have not taken him because they've found their middle linebacker. So it almost feels like a nice reward that Andrew Booth has just fallen to us at 25. And it would be criminal not to take him here at 25, I'll put it. The second name I'm going to put out there, I don't think is really on anyone's radar, especially if talking about the first round. But I want to make sure I bring this up because it almost counter argues why you take Andrew Booth I don't think this is a replacement for him. But it brings up an idea that potentially when it comes to day 2, you could fulfill a versatile versatile role when it comes to defensive back as a whole and it could maybe potentially address as we've discussed with Daxton Hill, address a concern for both corner although he may not be an outside corner guy much, but corner and then safety in the future with potentially leave, losing Poyer, and then eventually Hyde will age. And that is Jalen Peter. And I just said Peter, but I'm going to go with Petray just in case I said it wrong. I've been saying names wrong all night out of Baylor. And the reason I bring this name up is he is easily viewed as a guy that you can get in the late second, I believe, right around now. Some do have him going in the mid, maybe even creeping into the earlier second right now. But I think he's someone that could somehow fall and maybe in this scenario, especially fall into that later second round. And I bring him up because the point you also brought up was wide receiver was starting to thin out. Wide receiver is really starting to look dry and there's going to be a noticeable drop off soon. So as a team sitting here. With the potential that we have and how nice it would be to just have one more day one weapon added to this offense to really let it go and unleash Josh Allen for yet another season on the NFL and just tear it up wide receiver is delicious right now with a couple guys, mainly one guy. I'll just put it that way. Cause I'll be honest. I'm not liking Jahan Dotson. I think we discussed it before he's kind of average at everything. He doesn't bring anything exceptional. And I also think that, you know, we are the war room right now. But even Bean, if we want to, you know, take the hat off for a second, even Bean, I don't think Jahan Dotson is really a Brandon Bean or Mick Bean type of prospect. As we discussed, I believe with defensive guys, they like athletic freaks, they like athletic specimens that they can then mold that ball of clay, as you love to say, into whatever they need it to be. So Jahan Dotson is not that Christian Watson potentially is, but we'll get back to that. The idea of wide receiver keeps flirting in with my head because you have someone of value like Jalen Pitre, Peter, however you say a P I T R E. I don't know, but I'm not going to let that idea fool me. I think the, and I'll wrap it up with this, but I think Andrew Booth jr. sitting there at 25 is just too, good to pass up and I'll let you respond to this. And I think I know where you're going to stand on this as well, but that has to be probably the most considered pick at this pick here with number 25. How do you feel about that, Josh?
0: I like everything you said. I think the point of only two cornerbacks off the board gives you pause at pick 25. You sit there like Think about being in a fantasy draft. And let's say you have the eighth pick in the, in the draft and there's three or four running backs that are considered, you know, really good running backs. And then there's like three or four more that are considered like next level that you'd be fine with as your RB one. Now you're sitting there at pick eight and only one running back's been taken. And now you're thinking, do I even need to take a running back here? Six wide receivers have gone off the board. Maybe I should take one of them. And I know one of the elite running backs are going to fall back to me. I get the temptation, but we have to stick to the game plan. Right now, we're looking at a situation where the Bills could be starting Cam Lewis at outside cornerback, and that's not acceptable. If it's for a month, you know I don't want to force the pick because of that, but this isn't a force. The value fell to us here. And yes, Andrew Booth is my favorite name on the list, but there's other names on the list that I think also would be fine value here. I don't think the Bills would be as interested in Trent McDuffie as some of the experts have. I do think the arm length concerns are going to be a situation for him. Same thing with Roger McCreary. I don't think the Bills are going to sacrifice measurables on their first round pick. They just haven't done that historically. A guy that, Luca, you and I were talking about earlier this week is the other Washington cornerback, Kyler Gordon. I think they might actually like him more than Trent McDuffie because of his measurables and because of his personality and him being a willing tackler. One thing I saw today, though, Joe Biscaglia Biscaglia, um, posted, the Bills under Brandon Bean, all of their first-round picks have been 21 or younger when the Bills drafted them. Interesting note here about Kyler Gordon. He's 22 and he's going to be 23 in the middle of the season. Just something to keep in mind. Doesn't make him super old, but something just to keep in the back of your mind. So I think Christian Watson is going to be very tempting. I'm not as convinced the Bills are as eager to address wide receiver as we are eager to see them do it. I think they probably think. They can go into this draft and take a different position in round one and maybe find a George Pickens in round two or a Sky Moore in round two, something like that. Maybe even a Jahan Dotson falls to round two. I'd be much more comfortable with Jahan Dotson in round two than in round one. I think that's oh, that, absolutely. that's a better range for him. Yeah. There's really no offensive lineman that interests me. I don't think Tyler Linderbaum is somebody that can be a guard. I think he's strictly a center. And while I am okay with having some a, a backup plan for life after Miss, Mitch Morse, Mitch Morse isn't that old. He signed a contract extension. You don't spend a first-round pick on a guy that's going to sit behind him for three years. They don't have a needed edge. Um, Quay Walker was a guy that was mocked at them at some point in time, but I'm just not really interested in that. Um, Jordan Davis, again, similar to what I talked about with Pittsburgh on the clock, just not the value that you want out of that pick. Plus, the Bills made a lot of investments at interior defensive line. So I guess before we turn in the card, are we both opposed to running back in the first round? Or is this just a situation where there's too many other players at more important positions that fell? And there are scenarios in your mind where running back in first round could be in play.
1: I don't think the, you know, the first part of that is really a, you know, come to mind. It's definitely more the latter. I just think, I'm not opposed. Okay. I'm not opposed to Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker here at 25. I don't like it. I'm just also not opposed to it. But that's mainly due to the luxury of a situation that the Bills are in where there's really no dire need or dire hole in this roster that needs to be filled with youth addressed in the first round. There are smaller holes or just concerns as we've brought up multiple times with corner, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about a massive hole or anything of that. So I'm not opposed to it. I just don't think it would be smart to utilize your 25th pick or a first round pick in general on a running back for the reasons that we've discussed in the past and everything. That It's just not good asset management, especially when you can find potential players that can fulfill what you're trying to get out of a breeze hall later on in the draft. It's just not good asset management. So the only other person that me personally, I look at and I go, man, that could fill a need and potential just both in the future and ladder and would make sense somewhat at this pick is my good old boy, offensive lineman, Bernard Raymond out of central Michigan. He has experience at tackle. He has experience at guard. He definitely fits the guard profile much more in the NFL. I think in the long run, he is a guard. But that versatility of having at least some experience at tackle is something that would be nice to have, especially with everything we've discussed and how the drop off after our starting bookends, one of them goes out, is significant. Yeah. But we do have a guard need as well. I mean, we could use a guard. If Zion Johnson was sitting there, it would maybe make a good amount of sense to take a Zion Johnson. He's obviously a traditional guard. He's not moving anywhere else, but he's a very good guard. As you discussed, he could be viewed as maybe a top 10 player in this draft. He's just limited by what he is. Bernard Raymond isn't. And he could be a very, very good guard for a long time in the NFL. So he'd probably be one of my more out of the box discussions and the irony of it all is we keep joking that if I watch the bills, take a damn guard, I'm not going to be thrilled. Me personally, yeah. take taking off the head cap here, but I would totally understand it. If Bernard Raymond in this situation, we're sitting here at 25 Bernard Raymond sitting there. They like Bernard Raymond. I hope they like him. If they take him, obviously I don't think he fits any of the other profile as we've discussed. You know, they like him 21 or younger. Well, what was it? 20. Yeah. They don't like him. 22, right? It was 21 or younger athletic specimens, all that Correct. stuff. He doesn't really feel that, but I don't think offensive line really kind of fits into that metric anyways. I think a lot of offensive line that comes out of college, you're not getting them at 21 regardless. I mean, none of them, I believe maybe one of them are 21 by the season start. So that's kind of like an anomaly with offensive line. You're not going to fulfill that criteria. And I don't think they would hold them to that standard to be like, this is why we never take offensive line in the first round. That seems a little bit ridiculous. So he's the one I consider, but this is again, all of a sudden, as I'm doing this, it just sounds like I'm doing what it sounds like I'm overthinking it. Yeah. And that's exactly why I just keep circling back to who's number three on my big board at that position. And I know what, you know, what position I'm talking about. And yeah, I think at this point, obviously, we went way over the 10 minutes that we would actually have, but we would be turning in the card, I think, and I'll just wait for you to confirm it because I will let you have this happy moment, Mm -hmm. mainly because I got my soapbox for the Cardinals and a little plug there.
0: I will let you turn in the card and announce the name. So what I would first do before I announce the name is I'd take a look at our (laughs) medical staff and I'd say, okay, I just saw in March that Andrew Booth had sports hernia surgery. Are we concerned about this? Is this something that's going to keep him out for OTAs? Or is this something that's going to linger into training camp? Because now if you're talking about a rookie cornerback missing training camp, I'm worried about a rookie cornerback being ready to go on opening day without getting training camp reps. If they give me the, no, he's going to be fine, I think this is a slam dunk pick. I think he checks so many boxes for the bills. He has that athletic freakish upside of a Tariq Woolen but he's also a refined player where you don't worry about whether he can get on the field right away or not. And I think he also has that future position flexibility where if he doesn't work out at cornerback, he could play safety. I think Daxton Hill would be in consideration here. And I'm not a fan of this. I'm really not. I've said before that I think Kenneth Walker is the best running back in this draft. The Brees Hall smoke is not going away. I know it's smokescreen season, but... You can usually figure out who's plugged in and who isn't plugged in. And unfortunately, the guys that keep saying the Bills are really interested in Brees Hall are the guys that have been known to pinpoint Bills' interests before. Joel Bascalia is as clued into Bills' draft plans as anybody that covers the beat. And he just continues to pound the drum for they love Brees Hall. I would not love that pick. Before we turn in this card, Luca, looking at what's available right now, Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie, Daxton Hill, the offensive lineman you said, Christian Watson. If Roger Goodell goes up to the podium and says the Bills select Brees Hall, what would your reaction be?
1: A bit of shock. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you brought up how the people that seem to have a good pulse on what they like to do in the front office and what they like to do in the war room eventually, um, they keep banging the drum of Brees Hall. So I guess that would kind of temper the shock. But really, I would believe the bills to be an organization and a front office in general that they're not going to – it's just almost – it seems like it's a known thing that spending an asset such as a first-round pick on a running back just rarely, if at all, succeeds anymore in the NFL. It just doesn't happen. You can't justify it ever. I – I I want someone to kind of in the past eight seasons, let's say, justify one first round running back to me. I I just want you to give me that example. It's really, really difficult because even with like the Christian McCaffrey's, yes, when he's healthy and when he's, I mean, when he's hundred percent, he is borderline unstoppable. He is incredible. He's an entire offense, but that's the thing. When he's healthy, he's get he gets utilized so often and he's, He is the offense so much that you only get so much out of him. And then it's just, he's on IR for six, seven weeks. And then you're not in the playoffs. I mean, the bills wouldn't be in that circumstance. They just would, they wouldn't have this key piece. They drafted in the first round. And that just seems like a miss and that's not good to me. And then on top of it all, you're going to have to pay them serious money and commitment because of taking them in the first, it kind of just pegs them in a higher paying order. It, it, no part of it makes sense to me. Me personally, on the outside looking in, I don't get it. So, yeah, if they turn in the card and I hear running back, Brees Hall, Iowa State, a bit of shock, a bit of surprise. I, it's almost, it's not a disappointment because really, I think he would do great things on the Bills. Yeah. I think he would be a great fit. I think everything would work out. And if he brings us a championship or two, Again, I keep saying it, who gives a shit, but it's still not great asset management and potentially getting someone that could have given you, let's say 90% of what he does for you in the third round, let's say, and then you could have fulfilled another need here and just made it better in the long haul in the future, which is what the NFL draft is all about, assets with a mind on the future.
0: That is not a great way to do it, so- That's how I feel about it. It would feel short-sighted to me. It would feel like, you know, the Von Miller thing, for as exciting as it is, was a little bit of a short-sighted signing. Like he's gonna be under contract in three years. How good's he gonna be in three years? Brees Hall to me is a let's get the best running back in the draft, in our opinion, and price be damned. Now I will say this. We've talked about this almost after every Bills game the last two years, is My God, how cool would this offense be if they had a dynamic playmaker at running back? Just look how much the offense opened when Matt Breida was in there. And he is fast, but he's not a dynamic playmaker at running back. I don't want to get lost in the weeds of, I think, Kenneth Walker's better than Brees Hall. What I think is irrelevant. I think they're both really good prospects. Are they Saquon Barkley? Are they Leonard Fournette? I don't think so. Um, I think they're probably both more along the same lines of like a Travis Etienne and Najee Harris from last year. I don't think these are guys that you have to take in the first round because their talent just screams they're difference makers. But, you know, I'm a little higher on Kenneth Walker, but that's not the key. The key here is, I saw this analogy on Twitter earlier. I cannot remember who said it, but it was hilarious. Spending a first round pick on running back, is like preparing a meal and going out and buying a $7 carton of butter. Like, yes, all things being equal, do you want the best tasting butter for the meal? Sure. But nobody's ever walked away from a meal thinking, boy, that butter was good. Uh, When you're building a football team, you don't need to spend up to have the best running back possible. It just doesn't make sense. And as much as I would like to on Sundays, when the weather's bad and the wind is howling and the Patriots are in town and the bills are handing it to Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, and they're getting two yards of carry. And I'm thinking, man, if they just had any running back that could turn the corner, it comes to draft season. And I'm just like, I don't really want to spend a first round pick on that. The noise you made when I first asked you this question, I don't know if you did this or not. You just did this. I think that would be my reaction. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't even really be mad. I think I would just be disappointed because I feel like everything that Brandon Bean has done the last few years has been really smart. And the way they build their offense has been really smart. And this would feel like something that smart teams don't do. But we have to remember, we have to remember the Bills pick 25th. If you pick a running back at, at 33, nobody says anything. It's a brilliant pick. It's just the stigma of a first round running back. And when Javante Williams goes to Denver at the top of the second round, oh, what a brilliant pick. What a brilliant pick. If Denver had traded in to pick 29 and taken him, oh, what are they doing? First round running back. We got to avoid that stigma. I think Brees Hall could do a lot for this offense. I would not be a fan of the pick. I wouldn't just crush it or hate it. I would understand it, but I think my reaction would be very similar to Lucas. It would just be, something like that. but Luca, we're on the same page. Um, I think as long as the medicals check out, there's really just one pick here that makes sense. I know it's tempting to say, hey, there's a lot of corners on the board. let's let's roll the dice, maybe address a different position, but no, there's no need to roll the dice. When you're a team like the Bills and you have so many things locked up on your roster and there's only one really glaring need and a perfect that a person that fits that need, and checks the box of personality and skill set, you don't look, look a gift horse in the mouth. You just take him. So I think we're both aligned here. With the 25th pick in the Bills chat, a pro football podcast mock draft, the Buffalo Bills select Andrew Booth Jr., cornerback out of Clemson.
1: Very well said. That was a great monologue. Thank you. My goodness. Holy crap. That was, that was like when we were back in the first couple picks, that was, that was quality.
0: You could tell that getting Absolutely. the bills on the clock re-energized me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, we're here, you know, Eastern time, 1233 AM. And that was like, I, I thought we were having a conversation over beers at you know, happy hour. That was well, well done. You, you just sold me. You just sold me a used piece of crap basically. And you know, like, what do they, what do they say? Like uh, catch a ketchup popsicle with the, to a person wearing white gloves. Yeah. Tommy boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, I everything's spot on. Andrew Booth, don't overthink it. Let's do it. Bring it home. Absolutely. Let's let it, let it fly. I mean, just don't overthink it. That's what I keep thinking. Just don't overthink it. If this is everything, how it breaks down, which by the way, we just did this blind. Mm-hmm. We, I did odds. You did even. And I honestly think out of all the mock drafts we could have possibly read and everything, this was the best. Ever to break down. This was the best one when it comes to a Bills. <laughs> and just coincidentally, it worked out so well. And it was, it's all legitimate. It all makes sense. Nothing, no reaches, nothing. It just broke down perfectly.
0: Well, I guess I did have a reach with my quarterback, Kenny Pickett.
1: But yeah, but it, I put the asterisks in my notes, even at least, where it's, you know, you did mention that they could be essentially trading down to maybe get more picks and, you know, everything like that. To still end up getting their guy, and let's see here. I'm trying to figure out. There was one uh, who who fell. Oh yeah, Charles Cross in Baltimore. Although they don't move, Charles Cross could be a guy who gets moved up four, and I don't think that would really change anything else that we did. So yeah, yeah. I think that was. I think. Uh, I think that was a good. That was a really good draft for the Bills. That's for sure.
0: I enjoyed that, and if you enjoyed that conversation we just had, where we were kicking around running backs, or what would you do in this situation? I think you're really going to enjoy next week's show because we've been talking about the draft for weeks now. We broke it down from a high-level offensive position. We broke it down from a high-level defensive position. We mocked the mocks, and tonight we built our own mock draft, putting ourselves in the team's shoes, picking ahead of the Bills. And next week, we are just planning on basically – emptying our brains, everything we're thinking. It's going to be two days before the draft. We're going to be neurotic messes, just pacing back and forth, wondering what's going to happen. We're going to talk about everything on our minds when it comes to the draft, positions we think the bill should address. I think rumors are going to be really starting to heat up. And I'm really looking forward to that show because while it won't have the structure of this show of, okay, here's the next pick, here's the next pick. I almost think two days before the draft, when you have anxiety kicking in and you're nervous, it's best just to sit there and have a nice little round table vent session. And I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. Luca, we are at the three hour mark. We committed to getting through Bill's pick 25. When we were off the air, you said that you wanted to finish up the first round. Are you still on board for that? Or do you want to just call it a show?
1: No, I don't think we need to give, you know, the teams like Kansas City or any of them any credit or picks, you know, hopefully their picks just never come. I think we can leave it at that. This is Bill's chat. We got to the Bill's pick. Yeah. Everything worked out beautifully. Let's wrap it up and give it a nice bow. All
0: right. Well, I want to say one thing about my daughter, Lily. She listens to the show. I think I've mentioned this before. She loves it when I say, um, please like and subscribe because she watches YouTube videos and that's something she does. So she'll even have like YouTube videos where she's pretending to host one and for a fake audience and say, hi guys, please, please like and subscribe. And I told her I would give her a shout out on this podcast. And obviously, she is just everything to me. She's my daughter. So, of course, I'm going to give her a shout out. So, in the words of Lily, please like and subscribe to Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast, anywhere your podcast can be found. We really appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate the interactions on Twitter. And we appreciate you hanging with us through this draft season. It is a grind talking about all the different directions these teams can go, including the Bills. And we're not done yet. We have another full draft episode next week on Bills Chat. So we hope you'll join us for the next episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast.